Welcome to Radio Finance, the podcast that helps you understand the transformative developments taking place in the world today. Ching Chow, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and to our special guest, Dr. Win Kok Hoon, Secretary General of the Vietnam Banks Association, our keynote speakers, Ms. Luan Chao Fang, Deputy Director of Digital Channel and Partnership at Vietcom Bank, and Mr. Barbaros Yugan, CEO of Hong Kong-based digital-only bank, MOX. Welcome, everyone, to Finance Vietnam 2022. I'm very pleased to be your host today, and to chair the Vietnam Leadership Dialogue. I'm very happy and it is our honor to partner with Vietnam Banks Association again to hold this year's virtual event. Thank you, Dr. Hoon and VNBA for your support and partnership over the years. We are very excited to have all our conference guests join us via Zoom, and I'm happy to inform that we have simultaneous interpretation available for you to follow the event in Vietnamese as well. Just look for the language option at the taskbar at the bottom of the screen. We are into the third year of living with COVID-19, and we hope you are continuing to keep safe as we turn the corner on the pandemic. The situation worldwide appears to have improved considerably, especially in the West, in Europe and the US, where most restrictions have been lifted and borders are open again. As vaccination rates have increased, and we seem to be dealing with what appears to be a highly infectious but less stately strain of the virus. Asia has been comparatively more cautious and conservative in our approach. Restrictions and borders are taking more time to come down. Vietnam is one of the highest vaccinated countries in the world, with over 200 million doses of the vaccine administered to date. And almost 300,000 doses are administered daily more than enough to completely vaccinate everyone of your 97 million people. And we know the leaders and people of Vietnam have responded exceptionally well to the outbreak, which have allowed your economy, lives and livelihood of your people to get back to normal as much as possible. And the new normal has become increasingly digital as the pandemic has accelerated the adoption of online activities and transactions. Since the approval and launch of the National Digital Transformation 2025 program, the Vietnamese government has set the ambitious target of the digital economy accounting for 25% of total gross domestic product or GDP by 2025 
and 30% by 2030. And of course, it will guide the country to becoming a high-income economy by 2045. The World Bank is confident that this rapid digital transformation and vision by the government can and will be achieved. Based on its analysis, if the digital sectors expand by about 10% every year, the financial gains from the economy will exceed 200 billion over 2021 to 2045, or about the size of the country's current GDP of 270 billion. The digital sectors will become a more important part of the economy, and the use of digital platforms will create productivity gains for the rest of the economy. These gains will exceed the investment cost required to achieve this rapid expansion, which are estimated in the range of $35 billion over the next two decades. It is very exciting indeed, and we know that the financial services industry in Vietnam will be one of the important sectors that will lead this digital transformation. Take, for example, the financial technology or fintech sector. It has been growing rapidly, and last year, in 2021, saw total transaction value grow more than 60% to over $18 billion, and it is expected to continue this pace of growth well beyond 2025. Meanwhile, despite the disruption of the pandemic, the financial services industry continues to be resilient, strong, and leading this digital charge. This is a strong testimony of the government's measure to provide relief to important parts of the economy that have been hit hard, as well as the digitalization of important economic sectors that have allowed businesses and commerce to continue. In the Vietnam Awards 2020 ceremony that we will be holding later today, we will also be recognizing many of the industry's achievements in providing new digital services to customers. We've received over 26 submissions and assessed more than 15 banks and non-bank retail financial services players in Vietnam for over 12 awards in 12 different categories across retail financial services and financial technology. This evening itself will be presenting 12 awards to six institutions. With the growing focus on digital services, the industry has already started the process to rethink the pace and effect of digitalization and, it, it, and its impact on commerce, trade, and supply chains. Beyond Vietnam, economies worldwide are also pursuing a wider and more diverse range of policy towards digitalization, sustainable development, as well as integration and cooperation with each other. And as part of the virtual leadership dialogue, we will discuss the challenges that leaders face in achieving sustainable digital growth post-pandemic and how to compete in the current waves of uncertainties, especially now with the outbreak of fighting between Russia and Ukraine. We know that Vietnam has close ties with these two nations and will be in some way impacted as well. How are your institutions redefining leadership in the current digital world and navigating ways to build strategies to deliver stronger and more resilient operations? For now, I'd like to invite Dr. Hoon, the Secretary General of VMBA, to give his welcome note. Dr. Hoon is a former General Director in the Credit for Economic Sectors Department at State Bank of Vietnam and held many senior management positions in different banking and financial institutions in Vietnam. He has more than 35 years of banking industry experience and was appointed Secretary General of BBNA 
for a seventh term in December 2020. He also holds a PhD in economics. And uh, let me just welcome him. And uh, let all of us welcome Dr. Hoon uh, for his welcome note. Kính thưa quý đại biểu, thưa toàn thể hội nghị, trước hết cho phép tôi thay mặt Hiệp hội Ngân hàng Việt Nam gửi tới tất cả quý đại biểu tham dự diễn đàn tài chính Việt Nam năm 2022 với chủ đề Hành trình chuyển đổi số của Việt Nam suy nghĩ lại về sự gián đoạn trong một thế giới siêu kết nối. Kính chúc quý vị đại biểu sức khỏe, chúc sự kiện của chúng ta thành công tốt đẹp. Kính thưa quý vị đại biểu, chuyển đổi số là một trong những chủ đề được bàn luận nhiều trong suốt thập niên qua do tính tất yếu của chúng cho sự phát triển bền vững của mỗi quốc gia. Trước bối cảnh đầy biến động của nền kinh tế thế giới, Việt Nam được đánh giá là một trong những quốc gia có hành động kịp thời trong việc xây dựng và hoàn thiện các quy định pháp luật, định hình chiến lược phát triển trong tiến trình chuyển đổi số nền kinh tế. Ngay từ ngày 27 tháng 9 năm 2019, Bộ Chính trị đã ban hành nghị quyết số 52 về một số chủ trương chính sách chủ động tham gia cuộc cách mạng công nghiệp lần thứ tư với mục tiêu đến năm 2025, kinh tế số chiếm khoảng 25% GDP và trên 30% GDP vào năm 2030, 50% dân số có tài khoản thanh toán điện tử vào năm 2025 và đến năm 2030 là 80% dân số. Đến năm 2045, Việt Nam đặt thành mục tiêu là một trong những trung tâm sản xuất và dịch vụ thông minh khởi nghiệp đổi mới sáng tạo dẫn đầu khu vực châu Á. Để đạt được mục tiêu đó, chính phủ đã ban hành quyết định số 749 ngày 3 20 phê duyệt chương trình chuyển đổi số quốc gia đến năm 2025 định hướng đến 2030. Hơn nữa, Việt Nam được đánh giá là một trong 20 nước có tỷ lệ sử dụng Internet nhiều nhất thế giới, trong đó 68,17 triệu người dùng chiếm tỷ lệ 7% dân số, với giá cước dịch vụ Internet vừa phải, cước Internet băng thông cố định ở mức thấp nhất trong khu vực châu Á-Thái Bình Dương. Cùng với thương mại điện tử giao dịch không dùng tiền mặt ngày càng phát triển, tạo cơ hội cho các doanh nghiệp kịp thời nắm bắt ứng dụng các công cụ của kinh tế số, cũng như quá trình thực hiện chính phủ điện tử được triển khai nhanh và quyết liệt hơn. Bên cạnh đó, đại dịch COVID-19 đã phần nào thúc đẩy quá trình phát triển kinh tế số. Theo số liệu từ Ngân hàng Nhà nước, quý 3 năm 2021, giao dịch qua kênh Internet đạt 167,3 triệu món với giá trị là khoảng 8,4 triệu tỷ đồng. Giao dịch qua kênh điện thoại di động đạt 506,6 triệu món với giá trị là 4,9 triệu tỷ đồng. Có thể nói, thời gian qua dưới sự điều hành của Ngân hàng Nhà nước và sự đăng động của các ngân hàng thương mại đã chủ động đầu tư công nghệ tiên tiến áp dụng vào hoạt động dịch vụ và tạo ra một nền tảng vững chắc khi kinh tế số phát triển và xu thế thanh toán điện tử tăng nhanh. Tuy nhiên, sự phát triển như vũ bão của công nghệ mới như chuỗi khối, blockchain, dữ liệu lớn, big data, trí tuệ nhân tạo, AI, vân vân, đòi hỏi ngành ngân hàng phải thay đổi về mô hình quản lý, cấu trúc sản phẩm cũng như ứng phó với nguy cơ đến từ các vấn đề an toàn, an ninh mạng. Thời gian qua, ngân hàng nhà nước đã ban hành cơ chế chính sách phù hợp với thực tiễn nhằm hỗ trợ chuyển đổi số và thúc đẩy thanh toán không dùng tiền mặt, hoàn thiện hạ tầng công nghệ, hạ tầng thanh toán số, đẩy mạnh ứng dụng giải pháp công nghệ số phục vụ cho lĩnh vực ngân hàng, dịch vụ tài chính, ứng dụng các giải pháp công nghệ chủ chốt nhằm thích ứng với bối cảnh cách mạng công nghiệp lần thứ tư. Với quy định cho phép việc mở tài khoản thanh toán của cá nhân tại các tổ chức tín dụng bằng phương thức định danh điện tử eKYC đã giúp các ngân hàng thương mại tiến gần hơn một bước nữa đối với ngân hàng số. Bên cạnh đó, ngân hàng nhà nước đã phối hợp với các bộ ngành liên quan nghiên cứu xây dựng trình chính phủ nghị định về cơ chế quản lý thử nghiệm có kiểm soát hoạt động công nghệ tài chính trong lĩnh vực ngân hàng nhằm khuyến khích hợp tác trong mối quan hệ cạnh tranh lành mạnh giữa các ngân hàng và tổ chức fintech. Hoạt động chuyển đổi số đã và đang được các tổ chức tiến dụng quan tâm và chủ động triển khai đến nay có đến 95% tổ chức tiến dụng đã và đang xây dựng triển khai chiến lược chuyển đổi số 
hầu hết các tổ chức ứng dụng ứng dụng các giải pháp kỹ thuật công nghệ mới trong hoạt động và cung ứng dịch vụ trong đó 9 trên 19 nghiệp vụ đã được một số ngân hàng số hóa hoàn toàn như tiền gửi tiết kiệm tiền gửi có kỳ hạn mở và sử dụng tài khoản thanh toán thẻ ngân hàng ví điện tử chuyển tiền quản lý nhân sự kế toán tài chính vân vân nhiều ngân hàng đã ứng dụng các công nghệ AI ML và Big Data để đánh giá phân loại khách hàng và quyết định giải ngân giúp đơn giản hóa quy trình thủ tục và rút thời gian giải ngân cho vay Tuy nhiên trên thực tế chuyển đổi số tại một số các ngân hàng tại Việt Nam còn chưa mang tính tổng thể việc đầu tư hạ tầng theo phương thức Omnibet là chính nên năng lực và hạ tầng công nghệ chưa đáp ứng được kịp thời với tốc độ ứng dụng công nghệ số một số ngân hàng đã tiếp cận dịch vụ điện toán đám mây xong vẫn còn những tranh luận liên quan đến việc sử dụng công nghệ mới này hệ sinh thái đã được thiết lập tuy nhiên chưa đầy đủ do tương thích về công nghệ kết nối giao diện lập trình ứng dụng mở API chưa đồng bộ chuyển đổi số mới tập trung chủ yếu ở số hóa kênh phân phối các sản phẩm truyền thống của ngân hàng như Lending Deposit vẫn còn thực hiện theo quy trình bán tự động để nâng cao năng lực cạnh tranh và thực hiện chuyển đổi số thành công các ngân hàng cần năng động đổi mới mô hình kinh doanh tăng cường hợp tác phát triển mở rộng hệ sinh thái ngân hàng số sáng tạo đổi mới mang đến cho khách hàng các sản phẩm dịch vụ tài chính số đa dạng nhằm đáp ứng được nhu cầu và gắn kết với khách hàng kính thưa quý đại biểu nhằm thúc đẩy sự đổi mới bền vững trong chuyển đổi số không chỉ giữa các tổ chức tín dụng tài chính mà còn là các bên liên quan sự kiện Jason Banker tổ chức thường niên diễn đàn này có ý nghĩa hết sức quan trọng trong bối cảnh ngành ngân hàng ở Việt Nam đã đẩy nhanh tốc độ số hóa tôi cho rằng đây là cơ hội để các ngân hàng tổ chức tài chính các công ty fintech các công ty công nghệ cùng hội thảo tọa đàm về xu hướng đang định hình lại ngành dịch vụ tài chính cũng như học hỏi lẫn nhau các kinh nghiệm thực tiễn triển khai chuyển đổi số để có thể cùng trao đổi chia sẻ thông tin và đưa ra các định hướng phát triển trong giai đoạn tiếp theo thay mặt cho hiệp hội ngân hàng Việt Nam một lần nữa tôi xin kính chúc quý đại biểu sức khỏe thành đạt chúc sự kiện của chúng ta thành công tốt đẹp xin trân trọng cảm ơn Thank you uh, Dr. Phuân for that uh, welcome note and for uh, opening today's event and setting up the priorities and the different activities that the Vietnamese Bank Association and the industry are working on. Next, we will start our leadership dialogue. We are very excited to have with us three outstanding leaders in digital retail and consumer finance in the Vietnamese banking sector to discuss and debate the future of the industry as we make the transition to a new digital and post-COVID-19 era and reimagine the future of retail and finance in Vietnam with the vision towards 2030. We will explore how both traditional and new players embrace the inevitable change to be fully functioning digital players and equip themselves with the right strategies and capabilities to win. Now, let me introduce our guests. We are very happy to have Mr. Kalidas Ghost, CEO of FE Credit, Kalidas uh, is a global retail banking and consumer finance veteran with more than 25 years of experience. He's the CEO of FE Credit, the largest consumer finance company in Vietnam and a subsidiary of uh, VP Bank, one of the largest and fastest growing in the ASEAN region with more than 10 million customers and a dominant market position. Next, we have Mr. Z uh, Mr. Van Chen, Deputy CEO and Head of Retail at TP Bank. Mr. Chen is a retail banking and marketing expert with over 18 years of experience 
and joined TP Bank in 2013 as head of retail banking. Has held multiple management positions both in local and overseas organization, including deputy director of Vetcom Bank Card Center. He was a senior manager at Singapore's OCPC Global Personal Financial Services, and also director of product development center for retail bank at VP Bank previously. And we have also Mr. Jonas Eckhorst, director and CFO at Timo Digital Bank. Jonas is a senior board and management executive with over 15 years of experience in investing and building technology businesses in various countries in Asia. He joined the board of Timo, one of Vietnam's leading digital banks in 2020 and became CFO in the summer of 2021. He's also the chairman of Baikia, one of uh, Pakistan's largest online mobility and commerce companies. Now, today we'll be uh, talking about a few topics. Uh, what is the influence of the National Digital Transformation Program, which I alluded to in my introduction, and how is it driving institutions, uh, digital strategies, and leadership priorities? Um, one of the uh, one of the initiatives that the State Bank of Vietnam mentioned, although it's uh, very uh, preliminary now, is uh, the creation of a central bank digital currency, right? How digital payments and CBDCs, as they are called, how will banks leverage them to optimize the customer journey, delivering a seamless experience and a more customer-centric ecosystem? Digital-only banks, and uh, we have, you know, they are represented here, in our panel. Uh, how are they accelerating innovation and improving customer experience? How do you compete or collaborate? And finally, how are next generation technology creating opportunities for collaboration using you know, that often used term, APIs and open banking? We'll start with our first topic. Uh, what's the influence of the National Digital Transformation Program and how is it driving your institution's digital strategy and leadership priorities? I'd like to start with uh, Kalidas, uh, how important is it to have an overarching national digital program to drive the industry and institutions uh, transformation agenda? Um, good afternoon, everyone. I think it's a pleasure and a privilege to be here. Uh, an overarching national program for digital transformation is obviously very important and is uh, crucial for driving the digital transformation journey of the country as a whole and specific industries as well. So if you look at the Vietnam program and the vision of the government, which is outlined as part of the program, then there you, you can see there are obviously uh, high level vision in terms of digitizing the databases, which of course banks and financial institutions can benefit a great deal from. Uh, but there are also specific targets about uh, online transactions, uh, percentage of online approvals for uh, lending and for uh, uh, banking transactions. So all of these provide guidelines to us, but it also helps us to move ahead in our journey of digital transformation because uh, the whole country is moving as a whole and, and various agencies, various stakeholders are aligned with the same vision. So we find, for example, the whole uh, digitization of the uh, identity cards in Vietnam is now adding greatly to our customer processes and making them more streamlined, making the whole KYC process more secure and uh, more robust and uh, helping us to serve our customers better. So if we are to look at similar examples around uh, some of the other digitization, uh, 
digitizing the other databases like land records is obviously going to make uh, the whole mortgage process much less cumbersome than it is now. Uh, uh, in uh, with respect to digital payments, I think there is tremendous strides that the market in Vietnam is making, both from the institution as well as from the individual point of view in digitizing the payments and the transactions. So overall, the excitement, the progress that we see in digitizing uh, the society as a whole in Vietnam and specific industries is a direct result of a very clear vision outlined in this program that you mentioned. So very clear vision forward and along the way, very clear signposts or milestone uh, to achieve by certain dates, right? So, so that kind of galvanized the industry to move forward. And of course, as the you know, government set out the goal, you know, it, it also kind of whether it's a, a, a timely coincidence, you know, it was also hit by COVID and COVID kind of accelerated the whole program as well uh, for the government as a whole and individual institutions as a matter of survivor, right? To be able to interact with our customers, you need to, to go digital. Uh, Mr. Chen and, and Jonas, tell, tell us in terms of um, digitalizing uh, amidst this great uncertainty. Uh, first, we have COVID. Now we have you know, uh, a greater geopolitical uh, uncertainty coming from Europe, right? Uh, how, how do you kind of factor all this in in your own digital uh, transformation journey, uh, starting maybe with Mr. Chen? Yeah, um, good afternoon, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's my pleasure to be uh, part of uh, this uh, panel discussion. Um, and we would like also look forward to a lot of discussion and insight and experience from all the panelists and also the guests as well. Uh, for us, I think um, first thing in terms of uh, even the, the COVID is ha happening recently and it's also uh, um, uh, in line with uh, uh, what we have in terms of the national uh, digital transformation and some of the influences uh, Mr. Kalida just mentioned very clearly. And then uh, I think that also um, does a lot of, um, uh, I think uh, a lot of impact and influence in the, uh, finance, the, the digitalization of the financial services, um, especially for the legal uh, framework. Uh, I think uh, with that, and then it will be a, a foundation for us to grow faster and accelerate the whole process. But uh, specifically in terms of the happening of the COVID, I think uh, the most the best benefit uh, I, you know, we can observe is that the change in the consumer behavior, right? In the last time when we do a lot of digitalization, uh, whether it's a digital payment product or services, right? It takes a lot of effort and also investment to do education, to get customers to adopt it, and then feel comfortable and trust to do business. But nowadays, I mean, after the COVID, right, it changed a lot. And we can see a lot of results here now in, in, in terms of the business. Like for T-Line right now, uh, we have uh, over 92% of the transactions are digital, online. So we see a much big change like that. I think, and also the key adoption that in terms of the behavior, uh, like in the past, right, if you ask people to use, uh, to scan the QR, right, it's not easy. But now you come to every point when you have to scan the QR to do uh, declare the help, right? So it becomes a routine and then it, people take it and do it uh, easily. And then uh, people don't, also don't want to task on the node doing everything, everything from remote and together with that is a lot of things in terms of the e-commerce. Then that also 
have a lot of influence and, and, and benefit to the whole digitalization and also the transformation that we are doing right now in, 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 in the bank, especially for TV bank. And I think uh, for us, um, it's good that we started this transformation or digitalization like a few years back. And then um, the good thing that we laid out all the foundation, the infrastructure, the readiness of the uh, product and services, the platform, the way we serve customers. So uh, we see a lot of uh, a lot of benefit and a lot of uh, gaining from there, and really a motivation and push us to accelerate the whole process much faster. Some of these uncertain events have actually yep. uh, moved consumer along in terms of changing their behavior, accelerated it. And Jonas, uh, we want to hear from you in terms of how, how you feel about the overarching um, you know, program plus you know, uh, this coincidental you know, uh, uncertain events that happened. And uh, we, we have a question also from the audience, uh, and since you are the only digital bank, or not the only, but the only digital virtual only bank, uh, what's the cost advantage of a digital only bank um, you know, versus the traditional banks? Some quantification will help. Okay, and, and how do you address collection issues in digital banks? No, well, uh, first of all, thanks, thanks everybody for, for your time this afternoon and having us. And thanks also to, to the Asian Banker for putting together this, this great conference and event. Um, I guess our story is maybe a little bit different because we're still essentially a startup. So we're still in the early days. And it's, it's funny, we're talking a lot about digital transformation uh, in this event. But for us, really, it's not transformation, it's creation. It's digital creation of creating a new banking experience. And essentially, our advantage, you alluded slightly towards that, that, of course, our cost structure is very different. Of course, our culture DNA is very different. Our tech stack is very different. It's not a question of how do you go from a legacy setup to a more modern setup. It is how do you go from nothing to something. So I guess our journey is a little bit um, different from some of the other players, but of course, in the end game for a customer, we very strongly believe that the customer will decide what is most relevant for them. And the customer doesn't even necessarily care about whether you're a digital bank or a challenger bank or a neo bank or a digitized bank or whatever it is. The customer, what do they really want? They want a safe place to store their money. They want to move their money easily. They want to grow their money. They want to borrow money. They want to protect their money. That's the language that the, that the customer speaks. And that's what we, all of us, need to figure out. How do we, in different environments and circumstances, provide the best, best possible services for those needs? Um, and that will mean, and this may come as a surprise to, to some people, but even though if you just look at, at our logo and it says explicitly digital bank, but we see ourselves very much as a digital first bank, but we are not dogmatic about that as saying we have to be digital only. Because at the end of the day, banking is also about trust. And trust comes from seeing something not just online, but also offline. You mentioned in your introduction that, that I'm also chairman of Baikia, which for those of you who are more Southeast Asia focused is like the Grab or Gojek equivalent in, in Pakistan. If you go out in the streets in any city in Southeast Asia and you see the green helmets of a Grab or a Gojek constantly in front of you, that builds trust. That means that the brand, the brand becomes more, more tangible. And the same, that's just human nature. The same is true in banking. So if we talk about Timo or whatever brand it is, if it's a pure virtual uh, brand, 
it becomes much more difficult to build that trust. So for us, the real question is how do you serve customers better? How do you not get stuck in dogma? And how do you use that advantage of both technology, but also startup culture and the DNA and mindset? Uh, somebody was mentioning design thinking early on mm. in order to redesign and recreate those experiences. What's the biggest kind of mindset difference between uh, a, a startup bank like yourself and more traditional incumbent banks? Uh, earlier, we, we hear from Mavros. He, he mentioned you know, this whole thing about unique uh, partnership right, uh, working with over 200 technology partners, over 70 retail partners. Um, how is that approach or how is that openness to collaboration uh, uh, differentiate you? Uh, you are a very good example. You, you have different sponsor bank, right, at one point. You know, sometime yeah. earlier, you were with PP Bank <laughs> and uh, now you're with a different bank. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail straight on the head, I think, for... A lot of digital companies, uh, the question is, how do you co-create value and how do you uh, figure out how to play to each other's strengths? There used to be, obviously, uh, I'm, I'm not Vietnamese by origin. I was born in Germany. Uh, and the, there is in Europe, obviously, the saying that you're more likely to change your wife than your bank. Um, that statistically was true in the old world. But nowadays, everybody has multiple bank accounts in a country like Vietnam. You've got roughly 100 million people. You've got roughly 107 million bank accounts, but officially a banking penetration of 30%. That only works, obviously, if everybody has multiple bank accounts. So co-creating and figuring out with different partnerships um, how to be more relevant is very, very important. We heard it earlier on. Uh, nobody wakes up in the morning saying, today I dream of applying for a mortgage or today I want to consume a structured uh, credit product or whatever. That's not what the customer wakes up in the morning. What they wake up is, I really wish I can buy this new phone or I really wish I can go on this holiday or I really wish that um, I, when I'm old, I can retire without worrying. And that is only possible through, through partnerships. Now, maybe one thing that I would also point out where the true or classic startup way of moving things, however, also is not necessarily correct. And where in our context here and where I think there's a lot for us to learn from the more established part of the industry is your usual startup mantra is move fast and break things. That's literally the motto on Facebook's wall. Now, if you do that in, in fintech or in finance, as, as our CEO likes saying, in fintech, it would be move fast, break things, and go to jail. Um, and for very good reason, because, of course, you regulations are also not there to just stifle innovation. They're there to protect the consumer, to protect the industry. And so I think what, what's very important for us, again, talking about partnerships, is figuring out how you balance those, those worlds yep. of moving fast and creating value uh, while remaining relevant. In the area of safety and security of uh, transactions and money, you, you cannot you know, uh, play with that, right? And uh, one area which is very open to collaboration, uh, moving money around is payments, right? Uh, digital payments, uh, State Bank of India, uh, State Bank of Vietnam has uh, announced its intention to you know, create at some point a, a, a central bank digital currency. Um, how will institutions leverage them? You know, they already exist, digital payments, huh? to optimize customer journey, delivering a more seamless experience and a more customer-centric uh, ecosystem. Uh, Kalita, back to you. Uh, how do you think customer behavior 
through COVID, uh, uh, has uh, uh, behavior and expectation has changed in relation to digital payments? And how are you responding to it? You know, this whole area of embedded finance. I think COVID really forced us to think differently. I remember uh, while, uh, because we cater to a different segment of people, we have more than 12 million customers. Uh, we receive almost six to seven million monthly payments regularly through our payment channels on, a, on an average uh, month. And we had set up close to 40 or thousand cash points because when we started 10 years back, uh, and even now, uh, cash was king. And, and we had to obviously make sure that our customers are able to access their account or make a repayment through the channels or through the means that they are uh, familiar with, the, the, which is the prevalent mode in the country. Uh, but when COVID hit, uh, in our first one or two months, we saw repayments uh, reduce significantly. And that for a business like consumer finance is obviously catastrophic because it, it has PL implications, not just from a transactional point of view, like a bank. Uh, so we, uh, as they say, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So we, we started talking to our customers to figure out that it is not only onboarding, because a large part of our effort till then was actually focused on onboarding customers digitally. And today, 100% of our customers ultimately come onto a digital platform, even if their journey start from a, a physical or traditional point of sale, uh, they are ultimately <clears throat> onboarded through a digital process or through a down to a digital platform. But the repayment part of it was actually not uh, focused that much that we should have. And then we were caught by surprise by this crisis. And today, our repayments through digital means have increased. In fact, it increased over a brief span of three to four months between the uh, third and the fourth quarter of the calendar year last year, increased from 20% to close to 65 70%. Uh, mm. in a span of just three to four months. And what we find interesting is that once these customers migrated to a digital means of making a payment, they never transferred back. It's not like when COVID got over, they were going back to their cash means. So for us, it was, uh, as somebody mentioned, I think, I think earlier, uh, something that could have happened over maybe two to three years got compressed in a time frame of two to three months. So uh, customer behavior can change. They are quite, I mean, the digital adoption in Vietnam is a good indicator of how quickly customers adopt to new technology in a market like this, of course, driven by the young demographics of the market. And for uh, institutions like us, it's a great opportunity because if you really focus hard, it does look like we can create miracles even in a short span of time. And ultimately, you know, today, because customers are using these digital payments, we are creating data and profile about the customers which will help us design better products and services for them uh, so that we can offer through our digital channels in future. And the future relationship is going to be purely digital because the customer is getting used to the convenience and we are getting used to collecting more data and giving them better products and services. So it's a symbiotic, beneficial, synergistic uh, cycle that we are now a part of as a result of COVID. And then the mode of uh, payments is also different. By, by that, I mean, more traditional, uh, even if they are digital payments, it's not like your more traditional credit card or a debit transfer. Uh, more and more, they are using uh, digital wallets and which they don't necessarily need to have a bank account for. So wallets do have started uh, becoming a significant portion of the, of the payment kind of universe that we see of the payment pie. But uh, bank accounts still do occupy a large space. And we see that space, I mean, bank accounts becoming bigger and bigger as well. So it's not like wallets are taking a share out of the bank accounts, especially for larger payments like a loan repayment. But for, I think wallets are having a more uh, influential sway 
over the uh, retail transactions, especially the small ticket, uh, regular daily purchases, where the wallets are probably making more influ- uh, more presence felt compared to maybe larger payments like a loan or a banking transaction. Mr. Chen, uh, talking about wallets, where, where do you see the opportunities and the challenges that they present to you know, a more traditional bank? For us, a TV bank, right, uh, we are looking at wallets from the very beginning that is not a competitor. Uh, why we look in that way? Because uh, we look at the customer. The customer change and the is uh, is customer who is one who make a decision about all of this. Whether they make a payment, right? It's not necessary that going back to the bank and they can do uh, at the at the wallet. If, if the same customer of the bank and they do a wallet, if we are not looking working together, seeing as a partner, and then we are not going to provide the best um, services to our customer. Whether they are doing it Momo wallet or at our bank, so that's the way I look at the the more in terms of the opportunity to work with wallet to collaborate for it, so that we can provide better services. Uh, must uh, I think more and more kind of digital payment and processes for for the consumer. You mentioned a few example, right? Momo, you know, Pay. Um, they themselves are, are not just a payment mode, right? They are a platform, a digital platform, and tied to that, you know, they, they bring together a, a big uh, customer-centered ecosystem, right? Um, and what does it take to be successful to play this ecosystem game, so to speak, uh, Jonas? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting question because obviously the landscape is also evolving very quickly and there's a regulatory constraint for wallets um, of whether they're allowed to take deposits or not there are transacting limits there are ecosystem sizes um, but there is also consumer psychology and so we see that for example similar to what uh, mr chin was was mentioning wallets are not necessarily competition they take a different space in the consumer's head but if you think about it, whether it is online or offline, usually in your wallet, you would keep the money that you use for maybe a week or two weeks, but you would not keep your wealth in your wallet. You would not keep your wealth under your mattress. You would keep your wealth in a bank account. And so therefore, what we see, for example, happening a lot is that what used to be an ATM withdrawal now becomes a top up into a wallet. But it's a it's a similar kind of shift from from that perspective. Um, but likewise, just like CDM machines for people to take cash that is surplus in their wallet and park it in their bank account, the same way we see people withdrawing from their wallets into their bank account if they have surplus uh, uh, surplus there. So I think the the real question, no matter what it is, is similar to what what my fellow panelists here were mentioning was figure out what is the real use case for the customer and what is the right mode then for that customer. Is that a payment through a wallet? Is that VietQR is something very interesting that obviously was recently rolled out um, in Vietnam, which makes bank transfers even more accessible. I just came back uh, to, to Vietnam about six weeks ago during COVID. I was mostly outside of the country, but I was amazed even in taxis now I would, and. Mr. Chin will hear this very happily because uh, the other day I was in a taxi where the driver had a small print out of his TP bank account number, um, not even a Viet QR, uh, QR code yet, but his bank account number um, for a 20, 30,000 dollars, a one, two dollar transaction. Very happy to take even bank tra- uh, transfers there. So I think it's a very, 
fluid and exciting landscape where where it goes more and more towards what you were mentioning earlier partnerships and creating the right value propositions uh, right product mm. right place right time it's the basics of business just that our tool set now is much broader to serve that and many of these wallet players i mean they are merchant acquirers right they go out they partners with merchants they, they put them together they put you know deals together promotions and they encourage consumers to spend uh, uh, in you know, often times when they otherwise wouldn't. Uh, and, and now it's more convenient to just pick up a phone and look at what is interesting and, and, and what you can buy off your mobile phone. Uh, now, as a digital bank, uh, how are you accelerating innovation and improving customer experience? And how are you, you know, are you doing it that for, you know, Timor itself, uh, how are you kind of, are you bringing the industry along as you uh, break grounds? It's a loaded question and a compliment <laughs> to the moderator for uh, forcing me to put the rest of the industry on a spot. But uh, it's, it's funny that the, the previous uh, speaker was mentioning around how their mission is to, to be the benchmark, the global benchmark. Because actually yeah. the way we like to think about it at Timo is we are aspiring to set the benchmark for modern banking. And we do believe also that done, we're still a small player. We're very quickly growing, but of course we're, we're David, we're the underdog uh, against Goliaths, whether it is TP Bank, whether it is VP Bank or the Techcom banks of this world. I mean, we all know in this group who the big guys are and Timo is a small one, but we do feel with certain initiatives, like when we started with e-free banking six years ago, nobody in Vietnam was offering fee-free banking. And for better or worse, the industry has moved towards fee-free banking. So I guess we do feel a little bit proud that we may have managed to, to push the industry a little bit in that direction first. But of course, that's just one step in an overall journey. Um, I do think I would come back to what I was mentioning in the beginning that taking this consumer mindset and the startup and tech DNA, if all of us remember 15 years ago um, when the first iPhone came out 12 years ago or whenever it was, nobody believed that this could be an enterprise product. I remember I was working at Lufthansa at the German airline at that point in time. Everybody only accepted Blackberries for security reasons. But then the, one of the board members insisted on getting the ease and use of an iPhone as consumer experience he wanted also to have for his business uh, needs. And suddenly the whole industry set that new benchmark of this is what it should look like. And so now that's become the new norm. And that's how we think about it. Same way, what is the apple of, of banking? What creates those delightful experiences that then pulls the overall experience, um, sector forward? And to be clear, I would love to believe that Timo is the only one who can do that, but that's never gonna be the, the story. It is always gonna be different players, whether it is traditional players innovating, whether it's startups that are producing new, new services and products. But the great news as a consumer is the consumer benefits tremendously from that because that's what kind of keeps all of us honest and keeps pushing that benchmark further and further. And uh, for, for FE Credit, you're kind of a startup in the consumer finance space and a giant at that. You, know, you, you have a, a, a user and consumer base, customer base that uh, are often are bigger than some of the, uh, the banks. Um, my, my question is, um, uh, as kind of know, a consumer finance company that uh, work at a different segment of the consumers. Um, do you see, is there open banking in the Vietnamese 
banking industry, are banks willing to share data uh, so that you know, customers or you can deliver a more complete experience for the customers? How, how are banks and non-banks uh, approaching uh, open banking, uh, if it even exists in Vietnam? Just to recap a little bit of our experience, we started as a traditional finance company. Mm -hmm. And then along the way, we, are, we, we realized the importance of maintaining uh, ongoing engagement with the customer, introduced credit card. We were the uh, first one to introduce among finance companies, but we also happen to be the, among the largest issuers of credit card even today, in, uh, including banks. So we've evolved our relationship with the customer over time. And for last one and a half years, actually, we've been building a banking platform uh, in collaboration with our parent on the parent's uh, legal vehicle, but uh, aimed at catering uh, to the customer segments that we've been serving all this while. So now we are actually uh, transforming our business model to a more banking orientation uh, and offering banking services as a whole and not just the uh, lending products to our customer base. And in that process, obviously, our discovery is the need of a new segment, the mid to low income segment, which uh, is difficult for banks to serve from an economic from an economical point of view and therefore uh, that's where our focus is in terms of uh, uh, building a model which caters to that segment and also enhances our business model obviously for future growth. Uh, so that's what we've been doing and in that process we do find that as we mentioned in the beginning uh, during our uh, in the digital transformation program of uh, Vietnam as a nation that there are uh, facilities which are opening up more and more direct connections to uh, origin of data, uh, source of data for building customer profile, for lending decision, uh, for taking lending decisions, or even for facilitating mm. transactions are coming up. But open banking in the true sense of the term of the customer's entire banking relationship, beyond credit, credit of course is available in the form of credit bureau, but beyond credit, transactional history or other forms of data from a banking relationship being available across the board for offering better services to the customer is obviously a little distance away. And that would probably require some degree of regulatory changes for making organizations possible, which can act as intermediaries, like it's happening in India, for example, with the data aggregators. Unless mm -hmm. there is a reliable source or reliable intermediary who can handle that data or that exchange, it is unlikely that financial institutions among themselves uh, would take the risk of sharing data or take the initiative to share data because obviously everybody would be protective of what they have got. Uh, so uh, we would probably have to wait for a little while, but what we find on, uh, even though it may not be a very evolved form of open banking, as organizations like us who are more focused on creating a digital core on the cloud, uh, in fact, we believe we are one of the very few organizations if, uh, uh, if among the highly rare uh, who've got their entire uh, technology platform on the cloud now, uh, including all the crucial systems, not just a peripheral or satellite systems, but the entire technology platform is in the cloud. That gives us opportunities to connect with our partners on through APIs. And that has really revolutionized our model because now we are able to connect both on the customer side in embedding our finance, our products in their life by connecting with you know, e-commerce players by connecting with uh, supply utility supply companies or even retail uh, products and supplies. Uh, on the other hand, we are able to access technology and even uh, bespoke business models where we are connecting with those models with the help of APIs and then using our balance sheet to uh, access new customer segments or offer new products 
that organically we would not have been able to build within our company. So if you look at the advantage of a cloud-based uh, technology platform, of which open banking is probably the greatest one, uh, we may not be there yet on open banking, but mm -hmm. we are obviously deriving benefits for connecting with technology services, with business model, with online business models, and by embedding our products in the customer's life by connecting with the providers. And I give you greater agility to uh, provide that uh, to, to consumer with greater flexibility and offering them choice as well. So uh, which kind of was a very nice segue into our final topic on, on uh, next generation technology, right? Like uh, cloud APIs and whatnot, even blockchain, right? Uh, we talk about Web 3.0, uh, okay. Um, uh, and uh, so, so Mr. Chen, uh, customer are increasingly seen as part of an uh, ecosystem, right? Kind of much believer point. Um, how is that uh, transforming uh, the user experience with uh, the data we've been in the cloud, you know, uh, tell us about TP Bank itself. How are you leveraging all this uh, technology? A lot of new technology and technology changing so fast. And actually um, the industry benefit a lot from there. Um, like Kalida just mentioned, right? Something that uh, <laughs> wouldn't do, can do it, cannot do it like five, 10 years back, but now he can do a lot of things also from Timo as well, right? For T-Bank, yes, um, the, those like API, microservices, new technology like that, and AI, uh, it's really, really apply a lot in our in the way we are uh, not just for our operation uh, operation, but also in terms of this building the ecosystem, the digital ecosystem. Right? It now um, in the last maybe it take maybe uh, two to three months for us to connect or integrate with a partner so that we can co-create the product and services to offer. But nowadays, right, uh, it just takes weeks uh, because uh, in the way we set up, right, we build kind of a sandbox or, or we call it a, a digital portal. So every partner can really do it, can have an experience on that, experimental what they have. And then uh, after that, it just takes a few days for us just to plug in and, and play. So that the, 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 the process to build a, eco, a digital ecosystem is much faster and we can do with more um, uh, partners. But, and then the next thing that I think um, is a lot of things we can do uh, for in, in terms of digital and e digital ecosystem, right? Dependent a lot on, on the data. And like uh, you just asked in terms of open banking, something is still in the distance, but uh, we would expecting that it will be coming very fast as what happened over the last two years <laughs> with the COVID. And the other question here, when we have a digital ecosystem is open data. Because if uh, right now, if, if we're talking about the open banking, it means that the bank exposes those, right? Uh, other than uh, like the transition history or things like that to other partners. Same thing that when we work with other partners in the digital ecosystem right now, right? They are also very reluctant in terms of sharing the data because the legal framework, all of this thing is not available yet. Right? So we're also expecting that okay, with this uh, national digital transformation will allow us to have a much faster the legal framework to, for us to leverage whatever we can have in terms of the new technology, the legal framework, and also the data and, and this uh, to build the ecosystem. And then with all of that, I think the end of the day is the consumer, the customer, whether it's individual or micro SME, 
will be the one who benefit most because that will be the best services that we can offer to the customer. I like what uh, Kalida uh, uh, mentioned earlier. In, in, in the course of uh, running the consumer uh, finance business uh, in a traditional way, targeting the lower uh, end of the uh, consu- consumer segments, that you know, the opportunity to transform business model and to move up the the the, the segment ladder, so to speak. Um, and on that note, I also want to hear from uh, uh, Mr. Chen and, and Jonas. Uh, what other opportunity is your organization looking at? Uh, what kind of business model changes are you exploring now? Uh, 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 obviously, for, for Jonas, you are a startup, right? I mean, there's there, there so much space in terms of forming that business model. Uh, so maybe to hear from you first as well, how, how you are pivoting because of all the uh, flux that we are going through. It's an interesting question. And like you say, there's so much opportunity for somebody like Timo, but it's almost, uh, we always need to be careful that we don't get stuck by uh, (laughs) not doing anything with it so much. But I think one of our big advantages, and this goes back to even the the question that I think um, through the audience, you you were mentioning at the very beginning, what is your cost base to serve uh, a customer? And for us as Timo, that's very low. It's much, much lower because we don't have big branch networks. Um, so obviously we don't have any legacy systems. Our entire cost structure is much cheaper. So for us, what we primarily are focusing on at this point is high quality growth. Um, of course, somebody like FE Credit, uh, we heard more than 12 million customers. Timo still is a couple of years away from that. Um, but as we keep keep growing, I think the, the other thing that is exciting and fantastic about Vietnam is we recently spoke with, with investors and we're showing just the 20 year kind of Vietnam trajectory. And it's, it's a simple mathematics, but if you grow 7% every year, you're doubling every 10 years. And that's what happened from 2000 to 2010. That's what happened from 2010 to 2020. And that's what's going to happen the next 10 years again. So to a certain extent, the, the great thing for, for us, uh, and I guess I, when I say us, I mean everybody on this call, is actually in the next 10 years, there is another economy of the entire size of the country today being generated. And the real question is who's going to be providing banking services for that because without taking a single dollar or customer from any of the competitors, there's another whole Vietnam up for grabs. Uh, <laughs> and so that's that's really the, what, what excites us. The pie is getting bigger, right? The so pie is getting bigger so quickly. You have to fight for a bigger slice of the bigger pie. Um, exactly. And uh, Mr. Mr. Chen. To be honest, at this time, we, uh, we don't know yet. I think... Uh, but we always believe that um, we, uh, in the market, we have a lot of things uh, that can uh, help us, support us to uh, explore and find uh, new business model, new thing to do. I think uh, like uh, with the coming of those uh, digital-only banks like Tibo and other in the market right now, right? Those new player, player they are providing some like new thought, new way of looking at the thing and doing, providing banking, right? And we can learn from there. And I think uh, it, it, it's not just a learning and we don't know. I mean, maybe very near future, right? When uh, Kalidas, myself, or uh, uh, Jonas here, I sit down and say, oh, why not we <laughs> do something that combine together? And that's something that we, at this moment, we don't have it, but uh, it, with the right uh, intention and the willingness to do something that initiative with a lot of innovation to provide yeah. the best 
best of the services and experience to our consumer. Definitely a lot of things we can uh, look into it. On that note, we, we want to end this segment. Looking at the future of Vietnam, the market has got great potential, right? We mentioned that you have a vision of 2045 being a high income uh, economy. You have you know, 2030 where 30% of your GDP will be from a digital economy. So the government has set the vision. And um, what is interesting is every player is uh, uh, put, you know, have your back against that, right? Uh, and, and you're pushing towards uh, meeting that goal. And, and that is very interesting. And uh, you know, collaboration, I guess, is the key, you know, uh, what you can uh, uh, develop together and create together uh, is much more than what you can individually achieve. And uh, I think that is very exciting going forward. And uh, I would like to be in that conversation as well, 10 years you know, and uh, yeah, and then we can go. Oh yeah, it started. You know, yeah, on a Thursday. You know, in 2020, uh, 2020 March. Uh, on that note, I want to thank all our three guests for your insightful comments and the examples that you've given us. And I hope that we all have benefited from your exchange of insights and uh, your, the sharing of your experiences. Thank you so much. Thank you to all our speaker and moderator. Now, ladies and gentlemen, our next session is on Flashness customer journey in an emerging market. Please welcome Mr. Namikasi, Senior Research Management as the Asian Banker. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the session of Finance Vietnam 2022 on Frictionless Customer Journey in an Emerging Market. We have assembled a distinguished group of senior executives from business and technology across leading institutions in Vietnam to assess the next step in the digital transformation and customer journey and evolution of traditional and non-traditional banks in the country and how it is redefining the customer experience in the digital age. I am Namir Qaisi, Senior Research Manager at the Asian Banker, and I will be your host for the upcoming 30 minutes. I am happy to moderate this panel discussion with our esteemed guests from the Vietnamese leading institutions and discuss topics on digital engagements from a retail and technology perspectives. Vietnamese institutions have been digitizing at great speed to survive and thrive in an increasingly complex competitive environment. The rise of digital only banks and FinTech services has pushed traditional players to design a frictionless digital customer journey by utilizing technologies such as RPA, AI, and machine learning to empower customer engagement and loyalty. While digitally native organizations are using their direct to customer channels to deliver highly personalized experiences at scale, the incumbents are collaborating with new market entrants to speed up the process towards creating an open banking ecosystem, which will lead to more operational efficiency and profitability through generating data-driven customer insights. In this session, we will discuss how Vietnam's traditional players and digital banks are mapping their frictionless customer journey to better position themselves in the coming decade. These are some of the topics that we will discuss today. Reassessing collaboration with fintechs by using APIs and open banking. Leveraging AI, RPAs and APIs to enable operational resilience and deliver a personalized digital engagement. Integrating a seamless user experience in mapping the customer journey. And finally, strengthening FinTech and TechFin collaboration 
to speed up the digital transformation. I would now like to take this opportunity to introduce our guests. Yuan, Executive Vice President, Digital Banking and Data Analytics of Asia Commercial Bank. And Brian Carroll, CEO of TNX Digital Bank. Let's start with the first topic for today. The most promising solution in digital customer engagement is open API integration. By leveraging pre-existing data routes, financial institutions can capitalize on innovation while optimizing implementation and cost to deliver modern customer experiences. Hello, Brian. What has been the experience at TNX Digital in regards to the use of API and open banking to enhance customer experience and maybe share any obstacles or challenges that you faced in the Vietnamese market. Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to have the opportunity to uh, to speak. Pleasure to you. is mine. So I, I suppose let, let me ask that. Let, let me do a little bit of a runway into the answer on that. Oh. APIs are an enabler. We know that. They, you know, in reality, let's boil them down. They provide an infrastructure for parties to 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 better digitally integrate. And of course that leads to fueling opportunities for innovation and fundamentally towards a more personalized customer experience. Now the adoption of, uh, the adoption of APIs is growing exponentially. Um, Teenex, for example, is internally and externally API'd. So we speak API. So externally we're similar to a BAS platform. Internally we interact, coordinate and synchronize with APIs. But I think, when I, when, I, when I sat down to design this bank with my team, you know, it was important to look at the evolution of APIs. So, you know, to see where we could go. So like if we look at the first stage, you know, the first stage was data interchange, you know, as demonstrated by open banking, PSD2, which I'm old enough to have worked on in Europe. But simply put, it's the way the banks share information on their customers' transactions, typically with third parties, typically fintechs, so that third parties can better develop uh, newer or more customer-centric experiences. We saw stage two, these things are moving so quickly, was with more complete data, data interchange. And we see the emergence of open finance, where financial institutions share data such as mortgages, savings, pensions, insurance, consumer credit. So basically you're getting a more entire picture or footprint of a customer. Now we come to where we are, and I think where the market is, in my opinion. We're now in connected experience world, connected API experience, or beyond banking. It's, it's a world where financial experiences are embedded into our customers' lives. Uh, we see it into financial experiences such as BNPL, non-financial experiences such as BNPL, which typically was an e-com, but now we've embedded BNPL or consumer credit product into that. Or more locally, we look at Mocha and Grab, you know, a ride share that provides obviously the financial services. It's a world where use cases like buy my car, insure my car, and run my car are now easily achievable. So in Teenex, we believe in embedded finance. It's how we live, how we breathe. We believe it's the most important and effective way to serve our customers using embedded APIs. 
Our customers are Gen Z, typically unbanked, and even though they're digitally native, spending on average six hours and 40 minutes a day on their digital media, they actually place little value in traditionally delivered banking services. So in Tenex, when we talk about APIs, we actually talk about the second part of the sentence, banking. Nobody has said I want a full, nobody has ever said I want a loan full stop or I want to make a payment full stop. The value is actually found in the second part of the sentence. I need a loan or, uh, or I need a loan, I suppose, to educate my family and I'm making a payment to pay for food. So Tenex is a digitally native bank, but, more, but, but most importantly, we digitally twin with the everyday lives of our customers with the second part of the sentence. So we've embedded using APIs, our financial services, which are digital payments, cards, deposit, insurance, and in Q3, micro loans, and micro investments to actually support our six lifestyle platforms to embed it. So we have six platforms, we have seven, including banking. We track our customer, we have our customer, their physical, emotional wellness, their chat, how to chat, to communicate, their financial education, their financial wellness, their leisure and gaming, and a merchant marketplace. So to finish up the future, so we're there now, we're in this embedded banking world and, and it's a huge opportunity in Vietnam, particularly with the strength of digital commerce. But the future, I, be, I strongly believe the next phase where we're gonna be in two years is the world of disintermediation. So APIs, in light of the emerge of meta platforms, digital twinning, and the eventual regulation of the internet of value or cryptocurrency, customers will actually start to assemble and connect their own experiences that best, best suits them. So that's all from me on the talk. Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate it. Thank you for the insights. On to the next, uh, next, uh, next question. As a traditional player in the Vietnamese market, your goal is to add value to the customer by offering a personalized and frictionless customer experience. Given the saturated banking environment in Vietnam, there is tremendous challenges on profitability and cost control. Legacy systems require inside-out transformation. Therefore, banks are forced to adopt a holistic approach while taking into consideration the replacement and migration of the outdated systems. Uh, Ewan, what is your strategy at ACB towards implementing cutting-edge systems to build greater automation within the organization to be able to compete with the new market entrants? Thank you. Thank you for your question. Um, I think it's a great question, and and you know you you touch on uh, so so many things that. Uh, um, that, that has spot on about where we are. So, so we have been in business for 29 years. And, and so sometimes in this uh, transformation and in, um, in trying to devise our digital strategy, sometimes I envy uh, the like of Tnex and, and Brian here, who you know, can uh, start and you know, do things right for, for the first time. Uh, we have been uh, in business for 29 years, and and so when Brian start, you know, speaking APIs and living APIs from the start, we only um, 
get to start building APIs 25 years, you know, 24, 25 years after we have built all of our systems. Um, and, and, and so it is a challenge. And, and so our strategy, um, even though, you know, what we try to achieve uh, might be very similar with other banks, we will go through a very different journey and we'll have a very different strategy. Um, so, so we want to be omnichannel. We want to bring a personalization um, experience to our customers. We want to enable open banking. Uh, we want to bring uh, innovation and agility into the way we work and the way we roll out new products to customers. Uh, those are the things that we want to bring as a customer experience. How are we going to do that? The strategy will, as you point out, uh, have to transform from inside out because of all these things that already exist, right? Uh, and that is, um, uh, you, you know, a, a big journey trying to transform from, from inside out, changing uh, the mindset, the way people work, um, uh, the, the way you look at how you connect with the uh, partners and how you interact with your customers. And, and so we, we have to do that. We have to transform from, outside, from inside out. But I think to speed up the process, we also have to bring changes from outside in. Um, and what that means is that we have to bring in uh, partners, <clears throat> advisors, you know, vendors to help us uh, learn how to, um, how to be agile, how to um, have, um, you know, the, the, the mindset and, and the way of working that help us bring all these new digital experience uh, to the customers. Um, it means that we have to be very open to, to new concepts and even new business models because you talk about how to bring cutting edge system, but this digital experience um, is not only about bringing in new technology, it is also about uh, new business model, new solutions to customers. At the end of the day, um, even if your, um, your technology is not quite there, but if you have the right online to, to offline uh, seamless experience, uh, that's okay. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, digital only or, you know, end-to-end -end digital for it to, to really shine through as a, a successful digital strategy. Um, so, so, so we are on that journey, and then so in, in, in this uh, strategy where it's both uh, inside-out transformation as well as outside-in changes, I think a very important part is to be open to, uh, to, to, to partners, to the um, knowledge and, and solutions out there that, that we can um, bring together to really serve our customers. Thank you. Thank you, Yuan. I actually totally agree with you. As you said, you have to start from the inside and from the outside. So you start as a bank from the inside and from the outside. Um, you work on collaborations and partnerships. And I'm, uh, I'm glad that you mentioned this because we are going to touch base on, on partnerships uh, later during our session. So uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, our next question actually is for the uh, both of you. 
So uh, I'm going to ask the both of you, and I'm going to start with uh, Ewan, because, you know, ladies first, of course. So uh, I'll ask the question, and uh, the floor will be yours. Um, institutions are utilizing emerging technologies such as AI, APIs, and RPA. And we would like to hear from you about the implications of such technologies on your cloud strategy. How are you enabling these technologies to both provide service enhancement to customers while also preventing service disruption and supporting business growth? Yuan? Thank you for the question. Um, you know, there are so many use cases that we are exploring in terms of how to, um, to take advantage of the um, technology like um, AI, RPAs, um, open APIs in order to <coughs> deliver a frictionless customer journey uh, to our customers, right? Um, and, and, and I think when, when you touch on, you know, our cloud strategy, um, it, it's an interesting point that, that you um, mentioned, you know, both of, 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 of these uh, topics because um, it is the cloud uh, technology and what is available from, from, from the cloud that can help us um, enable these technology much faster. Um, and, and, you know, for, for us, I think we, we, we have become very uh, customer centric. And, and, and so in, in this, um, uh, in, in applying all of these new technology, uh, we take the uh, approach of being very focused on how we, um, we, we look at it from a customer journey mapping. So, so where can we uh, take advantage of these customer, uh, of, of these technology in our uh, customer journey? For example, uh, you know, we use RPAs to overcome some of the constraints in, in operations at certain, uh, you know, uh, parts of our uh, customer service journey. Um, or, you know, we, we use AI to start uh, automate and enhance the, the, the customer service and then the, the, the customer touch point. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so I think it's a, um, um, it, it's, it's really is, you know, a, a, a really amazing thing that uh, we, we can um, leverage what, uh, the, the, what, what is already available on the cloud and, um, and, and quickly uh, deploy it uh, for, for our customer. Uh, and, and, you know, when we mentioned APIs, I remember Brian also mentioned, um, you know, how we use <coughs> APIs in, in, in order to um, really enable not only, you know, the, we, we talk about open APIs, how our developer portal can help bring in and plug in partners quickly um, to, to, to help us extend our customer journey so that our touch point doesn't start and stop with the financial service, you know, the banking service that we have, but start and stop um, with the customer journey, like, like you know, um, Brian's point regarding it's not so much about a loan. It's what people do with that loan, right? So it's not about mortgage. It's about the, the, the home that, that your customers want to buy. So, so with open APIs, we can connect 
to uh, prop tech or you know whatever to <clears throat> to really uh, have an earlier touch point to customers even before they think about um, the financing of their home. So, yeah. so, so when they first think about uh, choosing a home, uh, looking for a home, uh, we can already starting to have that touch point through our uh, connection through through APIs with the prop tech, uh, you know, the, the, uh, and, 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 you know, there's so many more use cases. Uh, but, but, but I guess I also leave the, uh, the floor to, to, to Brian to, to also share some, some of the things that you have done. Um, I think firstly, um, I better speed up because the thinking that's coming out of ACB, I think they're going to catch us pretty quickly. So uh, that's really, really good thinking. So thank you for that. I suppose I'll preface this on cloud strategy as I did turn out, turn down one of the early jobs at Amazon because I didn't believe in their business uh, models. So uh, I look at the share price every day and do cry, but what can you do, okay? So I suppose to answer the question, and, and, and it's quite interesting because we had answers it from the perspective of moving from what were digital assets to almost technical debt in a digital world where, uh, and Ms. Yen is so correct, I didn't have that technical debt. I had the luxury, it's not easy, but I had the luxury of starting from scratch. So. We don't have a cloud strategy. We're AWS first, we're cloud-only infrastructure. So we, we don't even think about a strategy, it's what we do, it's where we do it. And we believe without cloud or banks, traditional banks, and you know, I've spent many, nearly 30 years in banking, if they're not looking at a cloud strategy, which great most banks in Vietnam are, they're not, or they're not on that journey, it's not going to be a successful outcome in T plus, let's say T plus three years, where 33% of the working age population in Vietnam will be Gen Z. And they don't like branches, they like phones. So, you know, it'll be an interesting time. Um, on cloud, we, you know, if I look at my, our cloud strategy from, from up here and give you kind of a feel, we only use open source. We only use digitally native local platforms. We design modularly, be that through microservice patterns or other similar patterns. We use real-time eventing for everything. And we integrate the best rather than try and build it ourselves. So in our insurance product, we integrate. In our health products, we integrate with health tech, insurance with insure tech. And you'll see some other exciting uh, integrations happening over the next two to three months. But we enable, I think the key point is, we enable everything with real-time data science and the application of that science, which is AI and ML. And if we couple that with APIs and, and our culture, you know, that's kind of a lot of our recipe for success. So in TNX from EKYC all the way down to GL, from our IT security uh, function to our behavioral fraud monitoring, to our credit risk, even to our carbon footprint reduction calculations, to our marketing operation, to our next best action triggers, or even the optimization of our cloud bill, we use data. Suppose to finish up, you know, for us, culture rather than the tools. And if you look at the tools, without the right culture, you know, it, it's not going to work. So the way I describe it to our team, to my team, who thank God are a lot more intelligent than me, but the way I describe it is culture is our heart. Data science is the brain, 
APIs of the nervous system, and digitally native tools deployed on the cloud are the limbs okay, of any digital organization that wants to be successful in either managing risk or in delighting their customers. Don't start with the technology. And I think there's a lot of that at the moment. Start with the customer experience, be it, in, uh, be it inside out, preferably outside in, um, and try and build that culture and definitely drive by data and leverage APIs. So that's my answer. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. The next question is for Brian as well. So um, um, every bank wants to be, wants to be customer centric but it has proven to be challenging. Um, after mapping the entire end-to-end -end process and obtaining a holistic view of your various customer journeys, banks should try to identify if there are any areas that could be digitized. So Brian, as a digital-only bank, how do you identify or prioritize the elements of mapping the frictionless customer journey in such a competitive market? Yeah, well, the key is you've got to fail a lot. Okay, coming loads of mistakes. Hmm. And now, fail is a difficult word, as I know, spending so many years here in the Vietnamese culture and in a lot of cultures. But you got to fail. Got to fail loads of times because you're never going to get it right. But the digital technologies that you have, you can go what I call fail fast forward. Whereas in traditional, if you've got a problem, because we look at most traditional banks, everything's in the core from, I don't know, from FX to GL reconciliation. To, you know, it's very hard because it's a monolith, okay? And, you know, as we Lego or assemble banks, we can make changes and fail very quickly. So failing is a huge part of it. Um, to be a little bit clearer, for us, we actually co-design everything with our customers. I made that call at the very start when I was, I won't say I had more hair, which I didn't, but I had a lot less lines. Um, I co-designed everything with customers. Because one hour with your customers worth a thousand hours with a third-party consultant. Okay, so you've got to build that intimacy with your customer. Not everything has to be digital. You've got to build that human connection. We're building digital for humans. We're not building digital for uh, uh, RPA processes. Okay, we're building digital for humans. So we co-design everything, and that takes a lot of effort. And in fact, the first some of you know the first hire I made in here was a psychologist. Not a soci and a sociologist, not an IT or a risk person, because we wanted to understand how we could be emotionally linked to our customers. Because the products are nouns. There's no activity in it. There's no emotion in it. And in fact, they become commodities with the democratization of, of IT. You can do things very quickly. So the first thing is, you know, our CX team you know, meet our customers. At COVID permitting face-to-face -face or not online. We also created a group called Commander Crew, who are our brand champions, and we meet them as well. And they're, they're like gig economy workers for us as well. So young people, obviously, our segment being Gen Z. Um, the next one is, how do we make, the next philosophy I have with the guys is, how do we make sure we fail fast forward, as I said before? Because you know, it's really good, because you're not going to learn otherwise. And so what we use is we use data science. We have arguably one of the most advanced data science installations uh, in Southeast Asia. It's everywhere. Everything is fueled by data. Everybody's got a dashboard. It's real time. There is no ETLs, ELTs waiting next week, 
banging on finance or they do you a spreadsheet. Um, you know, none of that. So because we didn't have technical debt, we built everything is event driven, everything is moving around, data is moving around using Kafka, of course, and Kinesis. So we drive everything by data science. That includes customer engagement. So we've deployed tools like Unomi CDP, which allows us to actually see every action, even on social media in real time, what our customers are doing and parse that. But every night we're using open source tooling from Apache where we relearn the customer. Okay, and then we take it from there. I'd like to move to real time machine learning, but I haven't figured it out yet. I need to figure it out. Um, so it's on the to-do list. And the last thing we use, you know, social media feedback loops, okay? Um, and also not just from the co-design and test, that same group that we co-designed and test, we do face-to-faces with again, because we know we haven't got it right, because you've never got it right for everybody. That's you're true. just trying to move towards the center that you're delighting as many customers as you can through personalization, to being able to take real-time action. Marketing, I suppose the last one, marketing and sales have disappeared in digital. They've become one, okay? We remember the good old days where you did sales and then marketing looked after retention and deepening. That's all gone now. So it's all data, 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 but not everything is solved by data. You need to be have a good relationship with your customers. You need to take the time you need to move away from third-party opinion outweighing what your customers are saying, because that was quite traditional in, in banking. You know, the only person who's right for me is customer. That's it. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. Um, the last question is for uh, Ewan. Uh, Ewan, our, unfortunately, our session is almost over. So I'm going to ask you this question, and then we're going to wrap up. So uh, new and specialized fintech players have unbundled services. However, classic economic forces remain relevant. Uh, big tech, f- tech firms and other new players are deepening their inroads into core financial products. How do you see the collaboration between banks, fintechs, and tech firms will add value to the digital transformation of the financial institutions rather than being competitors only? And how do you think partnerships at the front end and back end would affect the digital transformation in the industry? How would our partnerships and collaborations with fintechs and tech funds benefit them as well? So, so, so your question has so many parts, right? Uh, but, but first of all, I, I think I, I would like to, to what, what I would like to, to emphasize first is that uh, we definitely see the fintech and tech fin out there as uh, partners rather than just competitors. Um, and I guess we, we, we have seen a lot of them seeing us the same way, uh, that they not only want to disrupt us, but they also want to partner with us um, be, because there's so much synergy. Um, I, I think that they have helped us, um, even when we have not partnered, they have helped us in um, expanding the pie, right? Uh, without all the FinTech and TechFin, we wouldn't see cashless uh, payment 
grow so much, right? So, so even without a partnership, uh, all these you know wallet providers, all these fintech has has already helped us. So 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 we definitely see them as potential partners rather than uh, competitors. And and from the way that uh, we have seen them coming with very open agenda to speak to us, I think that they are probably seeing us the same way. Um, you know, there, there's so many things that we can do together uh, to, to solve um, so many problems. Uh, there's so many problem statements that we can solve together and, and, and you know, serve our, our customers. So it's both. Uh, so, so when we talk about fintech and tech fin, it's it's from a lot of angles. Uh, it could be from an angle uh, because you talk about front end and back end, right? So, so it could be like a vendor uh, who help us, um, um, you know, bring in new technology, new capabilities that we never have before. It's, the outside-in transformation that that you know we we talk about. Uh, it could be uh, at the front end, someone, the, a partner who help us bring new solutions to our customers uh, that we didn't have before. It could be us going on to that platform uh, to enable you know financial services on that platform, or it could be uh, us bringing their third-party services onto our platform. Uh, you know, the way that we bring uh, a digital only uh, insurance uh, products onto our mobile banking app, uh, you know, all the way that mobile banking app now can help you go on there, choose your movie tickets, pick the seats and then pay all in that mobile banking app. It's a non-financial service on your own app. Um, so, so, so I think there, there are so many angles that, that, that we can work together with, you know, FinTech and, 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 and TechFin. Um, and, and, and I think you, you also touched, uh, I think an, another part of your question was, um, what do we bring to them? Uh, what's in it for them in coming to a bank, right? I, I think there are a lot. Um, we, we already see that, uh, you, you know, one of the, the, uh, uh, the, the thing that uh, can bring uh, fintech to us is they want to overcome the legal barrier because banking is so um, regulated. Uh, that, that they want to partner with us and, you know, have our license uh, <laughs> to, to, to provide all these services. Um, and, and also, we have been in uh, the business for so long, we have uh, a customer base, we have the, the, the data, um, and we, we have 29 years of data uh, of customers that, that, you know, together we can better utilize it. Um, and, and, and also another angle is that um, I, I think that um, we, we have already seen from, from a customer's point of view, you will see that even though, uh, say, let's let take an example of e-wallet as, as, as a typical fintech. Uh, they have uh, acquired so many users um, and engaged with their users so much, but you already, um, but, but you also see that the uh, type of transactions that people use e-wallets for as to, um, you know, like small 
value transactions and the balance that people keep in the e-wallet is still small. So there's still this, um, you know, uh, trust and we, we still have that strength of having that trustworthiness, you know, that prudence, that, um, you know, years and years of risk management uh, credibility uh, there that, that help, um, you know, our partnership bring um, something to, to the customers that is very well-rounded. Uh, yeah. so, so it's not just very innovative solution, but it's also something that is solid. Um, from from a very trustworthy uh, service provider, uh, so, so so I think you know for 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 the potential partners, you know the fintech and tech fin in the audience, you know um, we're very open. Thank you very much. All right, uh, digital transformation is extremely challenging to banks in Vietnam. Obviously, uh, building a digital ecosystem is also a challenge. Banks are not only concerned about digital transformation, but they also need to look at business conditions, market development, and customer needs. Legacy systems challenge the implementation of digital solutions. It is imperative to participate in the ecosystem of partners to get the best value for both the bank and the public. Digital banking will be the future of Vietnam's banking system. Therefore, banks need a strategic and long-term action plan for digitalization. Banks with a strong digital ecosystem can gain a competitive advantage. I would like to thank Hewan and Brian for sharing your thoughts for today's session. And we hope that our audience has benefited from your insights and the sharing of your experiences. Thank you very much, Brian. Thank you very much, Hewan. Thank you, my pleasure. It was a pleasure as always. Thank you to all our speaker and moderator. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Swami Desmuk, reasonably Infinity as a terminus for his presentation on first-class user experience, minimal change, maximum growth. Hi everyone, a very good afternoon and xin chào. My name is Swapnil and a big thanks to the Asian Banker for inviting Terminons to speak at today's event. Before I start with my presentation, just a quick introduction. I'm the regional lead for Infinity Digital Engagement at Terminos. And uh, I've been in digital banking for over 15 years now, including my role as head of digital banking for Maybank in Cambodia. Having worked as a banker, as well as on the technology partner side, I believe I have deep appreciation for today's topic, which is around delivering world-class uh, user experience. I've lived in Vietnam as well for three years. It's a great country, fantastic people, and the pace of digital transformation has been simply staggering. I'm gonna to talk to you today about three things. And I'm gonna cover about uh, delivering first-class digital experiences. Uh, how do you deal with digital paper cards? And uh, how do you optimize customer journey for digital customer acquisition? And the reason we're gonna focus especially on customer onboarding, customer acquisition is because it's extremely hard. We know that. We know that very well because we've delivered thousands of digital applications for banks around the world. It's probably the most important journey of a customer, customer's relationship with the bank. You can't afford to get it wrong. But before we go there, let's talk about 
how do you introduce innovation in your bank's technology stack? And I like what Brian said earlier um, in, in the previous session, don't start with technology, start with customer experience, and then you work outside in. So how do you go about managing, introducing innovation in the bank? Now you're all familiar with Gartner and Gartner thinks about this all the time. Even small projects that you have, do you deliver them with the same speed and process as a large project? Do you deliver all the innovation from IT? What is the best time to optimize customer journey? And we like to believe the best time to optimize is all the time, right? So they introduced a framework called Pace Layers and Pace Layers has been around for a while now. In this framework, you have systems of record, systems of differentiation, and you have system of innovation. System of records are your packet software where you store all the critical customer master data, deal with regulatory requirements. These typically would have a long-term life cycle about 10 years or so in our experience. Then you have systems of differentiation where you support unique processes for customer requirements. You might need a bit of configuration there because of changing customer requirements. These have a medium life cycle about a year to five years. And then you have system of innovation, which basically supports new opportunities, ad hoc initiatives, which could have a life cycle, anything from a month to a year. And at Terminos, in fact, our technology is layered around a similar framework, wherein our pedigree has been set with our package core banking software, which has helped banks build trust with customers and the regulators. Then we have the front office solutions, which are platform solutions. Uh, think about digital banking, internet mobile, uh, analytics, so on and so forth. And then we have systems of innovation, such as the Terminos Journey Manager, which will help banks rapidly innovate. And that's what we're going to focus on today with the help of real examples I'm gonna share with you. How do you use systems of innovation to optimize digital customer acquisition. Now, this is a standard marketing funnel. I'm sure you're familiar with it, wherein a customer recognizes they have a problem. They look at how that problem can be solved using your product or services, applies for it, adopts it, and becomes an advocate for it. The thing that sets it different in digital sales, however, is that it entirely relies on customer motivation. And that's why it is so difficult because in digital sales, customer expects to apply and starts adopting your product. Think about it like customer trying to climb the mountain is, is similar to the customer onboarding journey that you have. You want to make it as simple, as easy as possible for the customer to complete the journey. It's a very well-known fact. For every 100 customers who will start the journey with you, only 15 of them will complete the journey. 85% across the industry, 85% applications, customers will abandon their application after entering some details. And you don't want that because that cost or opportunity cost is huge. So how can we make it easier for customers to complete the journey and how can we quantify the benefits 
of optimizing the user's journey. I'll give you a real world example here. Bendigo Adelaide Bank, it's the fifth largest bank in Australia. They had an existing digital personal loan application, which they replaced with Terminos Journey Manager. They bear in mind, they did not change the product. They did not change the marketing. We worked with them to optimize the customer journeys, replace the original application. This was about 12 weeks work. And after those 12 weeks of work, the bank saw an increase of 78% through the same digital channel for the same product, right? So think about it this way, three months program of work and an upshot of 78%. I spoke earlier, 85% of people give up. You don't have to accept that. You can change it by using systems of innovation such as Terminos Journey Manager, right? So let's, let's also talk about dealing with digital paper cards. I know when you look at this picture, it's confronting, but that's exactly how your customers feel as well. That's how I would feel as well. So what's a digital paper card and how do you manage it? A digital paper card in, in customer onboarding is something that hasn't gone right, that makes it difficult for the customer. So let's look at an example of how do you manage a digital paper card? And again, as promised, I'm giving you a real example of a customer. So a tier one US bank, they had a credit card application on their website and in the app. They shared with us that the value of customer to the bank is $450 on an annual basis. However, they had a symptom, they had an issue, abandonment. Customers were abandoning the application at a certain point. They weren't sure why, and they reached out to our team. That's where we used one of our tools called Transact Insights to look at this. Now, what you see on the right-hand side here is an actual screenshot of our product. Not only can you know how many customers started the journey and how many abandoned, that's that's a regular stuff. However, you can actually dive in at a field level where you can see how many customers spent how much time on each field, how many keystrokes they entered, at what point they started, what point they abandoned, right? So our team spent five minutes on this abandonment issue and realized that on this field called type, which you see on the mobile phone, and this is again from actual screenshot of the, of the bank, where on this field called type, 11,349 customers were abandoning their application. I mentioned to you earlier, the value of the customer to the bank is $450. So you take that, that's a 5 million digital paper cut for the bank. So we look deeper. Why are people abandoning at this particular field? At this point, the customers have entered their name, date of birth, chosen the product, entered the phone number, and after that, they were abandoning. Well, if you look closer, there's a text below which says if numbers provided are mobile number, uh, the, bank consent, uh, the customer consents to allowing the bank and its affiliates to contact through auto-dial messages. Now, this text, which obviously is, is a lot of legal jargon, Customers found it confronting. They couldn't understand it. And as a result of it, they started abandoning their application 
at this point. We highlighted this issue to the bank that this is where the issue is. The bank had obviously discussion with their legal team, with compliance. They changed this text. They optimized the text and they made sure that customer, and they put it in a manner that customer could understand this consent option when they entered a mobile number. As a result of doing this, the bank has not only paid for the software, hardware, the support uh, infrastructure for five years by optimizing the text and optimizing the customer journey in this particular case. And that's the power of systems of innovation. And that's the power of optimizing customer journey. There's few other things that you could do in your customer onboarding journey. The thing with analytics is it may not always tell you where the problem is, but it will tell you exactly where to look. So make sure that you have true omni-channel responsive web, native app ready solutions, you are API ready, cut through the architecture, cut through the technology, keeping the customer in mind, give the customer the choice to save, resume their application as they would need, and definitely focus on abandonment management because there is an opportunity to optimize your customer journey right there. And we bring this back to where we started at the presentation. Terminos invests and continues to invest to help customers, which is banks in our case, uh, deliver innovation in a safe and fast manner at the same time. So if you think there's a need for digital app, enabling digital, optimizing digital applications, digitizing your core, digitizing your bank, come talk to us. We'll be happy to have a chat with you. You can reach out to me anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Squabney, for the informative presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, to lead us in the next exciting sessions on the future of cloud banking in a hyper-connected world, allow me to introduce Mr. Mobasa Zain Kami, the head of research at the Asian Banker. Good afternoon, attendees, and welcome to our session. Uh, I'm Mubashir, Head of Research at Tab Insights, and I'll be your host for the next uh, half hour or so. Uh, we have with us uh, a very distinguished senior executive in digital banking from one of the leading uh, financial institutions in Vietnam. Uh, he'll be sharing with us his perspective on key issues impacting the ongoing transformation of banking powered by the cloud uh, as we assess the different approaches adopted by various market players in, in navigating really this fast-changing financial services landscape. Uh, and this is really built by deploying new business models enabled by cloud technology. Uh, so this session will be focusing, of course, on key developments in transforming legacy onto the cloud. Um, we'll be looking at a multi-cloud versus a hybrid cloud approach, uh, assessing uh, which one is uh, really the most effective in terms of uh, cloud infrastructure connectivity, uh, we'll also be looking at developing a digital journey through cloud-first core infrastructure, uh, as well as delivering a unique experience uh, by utilizing data and mitigating third-party risks. So I'd like to thank everybody for joining us today, and I, I look forward to uh, an insightful and, and interactive session. Um, naturally, the pandemic has accelerated the need uh, for, for migrating uh, into the cloud, as you know, this certainly brings scalability. Um, with that said, uh, I would like to introduce our, our guest, Colin uh, Din, who's the Chief Digital Officer at Vietcom Bank, who would have certainly a lot to say 
on what's been happening in the past couple of years uh, in terms of uh, the impact that the pandemic has had um, and really how the cloud brings in uh, scalability uh, and how this has really um, uh, become an opportunity for financial institutions to transform. Um, it also brings into focus the role of the cloud, uh, as we've seen traditional players in Vietnam and beyond who are recognizing the importance of utilizing innovation uh, that is now uh, really being deployed by their nimble fintech counterparts. Uh, incumbent banks naturally understand the value of building and nurturing strategic uh, partnerships uh, that are born and reside in the cloud, and they welcome the arrival of these innovative tools that allow them to work more efficiently alongside their digital pay setters. So with that said, and to kick things off, I would like to uh, perhaps invite uh, Colin and to get his feedback on, in terms of the steps that Vietcom Bank is taking in utilizing cloud-based technology. Uh, perhaps he can share with us uh, some insights as well in terms of how the, ro the role of the cloud, uh, essentially in terms of the bank's overall dis digital transformation uh, pro plans. Good afternoon, Mabashian. Thanks for the invite. Um, Yes, cloud, great capability. But before we start on cloud, I'd just like to clarify this question of digital because I think it's a dramatically misused uh, statement. You know, digital is not a technology. Digital is a, a, com a combination of you know, multiple capabilities that have come together at the right time. You know, we've got mobile, we've got microservices, we've got APIs, we've got artificial intelligence, we've got machine learning, we've got internet of things. And a big part of digital is cloud. A big component of digital is cloud. And just as important as the cloud native capabilities, you know, auto scaling, auto provisioning, the digital journeys cannot happen without these kinds of capabilities. So and what I'm looking at right now is not just, you know, cloud in itself, but cloud as part of these technology enablers to actually move to digital. You know, we also have the multipliers. It's interesting to see. And I think that one of the things I see, think about in Vietnam today is we've got the multipliers in place. We've got the connectivity. We've got the mobility. We're building the data intelligence in our systems. And with cloud, we've got the scaling on demand. So now you start to see, you know, what this digital uh, explosion is being fed by. It's being fed by this fusion of technology that it's actually being able to uh, drive us faster. It is not something that can be done by any one component. So what do I think about when I look at cloud um, and when I think about this? And it's not just within this bank. I've been involved in this in several other banks. Uh, over and I've talked to Asia Banker many times before, but the you know the first consideration I look at when I'm thinking digital is you know very pragmatic. I have scale to deal with. Um, if I'm on a I'm a banker and I have peak months, I have peak days of the year, and if I actually configured all of the assets that I needed to be able to run all of that, I would be able I would be having somewhere in the region of 95% of my estate being idle on a quiet day, uh, even more in some cases. So basically, that's one of the things. I can't really see that uh, going in a digital journey, you can afford to acquire all of these things, the time it would take and all of those aspects. Not only that, the data center space, the DR space, you know, all of this equipment takes 
power. It, it takes air handling capability. So all of these things have to be configured as well. And that's a huge overhead for an organization. So cloud and cloud enablement is a big component of the digital journey that, that and the way we look at it. The second is, you know, the whole thing about digital is we've got to move fast. Now, I can't turn around to a business innovation person and say, fantastic idea, come back in three to six months when I've been able to provision everything I need to put in place. You can't do that. You've got to be well ahead. You've got to have this ability to, you know, basically, you know, make a phone call and provision the capability. You can't say come back in three to six months because three to six months, the opportunity has died and it's gone away or someone else has taken it. The other thing that I see very much so is this whole thing about software or solutions rather as a service. You know, we've all know the great names. I'm not going to mention them all, but they're all there. Uh, I'm not here to do their advertising, but it's, you know, it's really important. I don't want to build commodity. I'm not interested in commodity. I even go to the state where I would say, you know, a core banking capability and product is, is commodity. You know, there's not much difference in a loan and deposit. But let's take the simpler example. You know, I want an email service. I just rent it. I pay as I go. You know, all of a sudden now we've got this whole new concept driven to us through cloud of being able to align our business value very much with the usage because we pay as we go. And I don't have all of the overheads of the maintenance and the security. And as we all know, the maintenance is one dimension. The whole security issue nowadays is a completely different dimension. So those are the things I think. Those are the things that I think about and, and what I look at and what I'm considering within the overall cloud uh, and the cloud strategy and how we are leveraging the cloud going forward. Um, I just want to put a footnote on this, um, which is a nice realization, which I only found out this morning. A telephone took 35 years to get to mass adoption. A mobile phone took 13 years to get to mass adoption. An iPhone took two and a half years. So we're into a very, very different era where, you know, to, to get mass adoption can be achieved quick. But also we've got to remember, we've got to retain those users. And that means we've got to provide something engaging. Mm -hmm. And I believe earlier speakers were talking about the whole thing about customer centricity and customer experience, which is one of the foundation stones that uh, we certainly believe in as well. It's a, it's a core of everything. It's not driving for product. It's driving for customer engagement. It's providing the convenience. In respect to COVID, um, I think the easiest way to say, did, did, um, did the pandemic have uh, an impact on the cloud usage? I looked at the AWS first year results of 2020, first quarter, sorry, uh, and their overall run rate in the first quarter of 2020 was 40 billion. So you can see that actually, yes, it did have a, an impact. Yes, where everyone going to the to, to the um, to the cloud to enable. Uh, basically, yes, we needed to reinvent our businesses. Everyone needed to reinvent their businesses, and cloud has been a big enabler to do all of that. And without cloud, we could not actually scale to the levels of capability that we have. Uh, so you know, those are the things that I can see that we're, we're, we are influenced by cloud and where cloud is a cornerstone nowadays. Excellent. Uh, and on that note, also, Colin, uh, you know, having the right cloud strategies, you pointed out, you know, is, is really critical in terms of, you know, having the efficacy of your digital transformation strategy. 
Um, and there are different, of course, paths towards having a successful cloud migration. Um, so what, are, what are some of your uh, key considerations when you're looking or evaluating or uh, you know, assessing between taking a multi-cloud approach versus a hybrid cloud approach, uh, given that you know, arguably multi-cloud offers the greater flexibility and hybrid perhaps provides for more experimentation. So how do you view this? Again, I'll come back to definition first so everyone's on the same page, because I think I've seen these terms used very interchangeably, you know, um, and people will talk about multi when they're talking about hybrid and all of this. So I, I actually decided to share my definition. You know, multi-cloud is the use of two or more cloud platforms. Very simple. And it's multiple service. It could be infrastructure. It could be platform. It could be software as a service. Uh, where hybrid is usually blending private cloud or public cloud. Now, this to me, there's a logic to this whole thing. And certainly from where I stand, I, I'm, I work in big banks. I've evolved through that. So I actually have one problem. In my move to cloud, I have to deliver hybrid IT. Is it a cloud or is it an on-prem solution? It's irrelevant to me. I've got to build and to deliver against a hybrid IT so that I can actually mix and match. Now, that's the first journey that we can go down. Um, so picking what's center in me and my thought process around this is who is the right provider for me? It's not about who's got the biggest name. It is really about who is the provider that's one going to help me grow because I need to uh, grow my skill base and grow my capability. Uh, two, has the right support structure within the country. Um, and it's different in every country, I've got to say. I've been in several around the region and it's very different in the different markets. So in respect to that, I actually look to the right organization and someone that's going to work with me as a partner to build the internal um, skills. And we'll come to skills a bit later in the discussion because they're absolutely fundamental. So in respect to that, you know, I start with a hybrid IT. Um, I've noticed through my own experience that, you know, going to multi-cloud will happen by default. Um, uh, very quickly, you'll have cloud services, SaaS services that you're going to be using, like a GL or, or, or like a sales capability or something of that nature. So very quickly, in one to two years of starting a journey, you will end up with three or four cloud providers by default. Uh, so you have to handle that multi-cloud environment. But the more difficult question is, and I think the one that really is the burning platform is, do I take the same core application and build it or buy it and sit it on two different clouds? And then that comes down to you know, the, the whole capability. Can I afford to invest in skills in two different clouds? Uh, how can I do that? How can I invest in that capability? So that's actually managing the whole thing on concentration risk. So the way I look at that is, first of all, it's a longer term solution, not a, a short term solution. I definitely look at the ways in which we look at the start. The start has got to be when we're building cloud native, we've got to use abstraction layer so that we can migrate if, if we need to. And then we will consider concentration risk as we go along. It's not something I'm going to try and balance between two major cloud providers or two major cloud platforms at the, uh, at the early days of a cloud journey because the skill base of what we've got to lay in the cloud is huge. And also looking at uh, the business fit. Um, so how do you go about or how would banks ensure that their cloud solution architecture is 
fit for business, um, you know, and as, as we're seeing this transition to digital and given the development of all of these new business uh, models, um, you know, how, how would banks be best placed to manage this transition? Okay. To manage the transition, I think that they've got to actually start to look at a couple of different things. First of all, you, 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 you're right. They've got to make the selection correct. They've got to look at the dynamics of what that cloud provider can do in, that, in the country for them. Um, the, the labels will give you lots of encouragement. You can lead lots of good um, sales pamphlets. But what you've got to do is really understand what they're doing and what they're investing in in the country to be able to know. The other thing that I think that what we've got to do when we're looking and moving into cloud is we certainly have to invest in people. We've got to actually build our own capabilities. I am a big advocate of the fact that we are still you know, the owners of the system. If they're running in the cloud or anywhere else, we are still accountable. So building those core skills is very, very important. The core skills in relation to that will be not simple. It's very different from the way in which we operate today. It's very different from a point of view of, you know, how do I manage a system, a day-to-day -day operation? How do I manage the fact that I've got a multi-cloud environment and I'm moving data between the two? How do I ensure that? You know, we come to a thing that we have to think differently. And this is what I encourage the, the team. We've got a team going through all of this right now. And it's consequence design. What are the things that will go wrong? Because that's what you've got to do. And it's very different from the way in which we've built systems for the last 10 years, because we haven't really had to think of all of the consequences. Now we have to think of the consequences. So from a business point of view, or from a technology business point of view, those are the things that I think about. From a business, it is really more about the accessibility, the, 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 the partnership that they're going to build with you, the investments that they're going to make with you uh, to actually get you to the level where you are self-sufficient and capable. Um, I think that those are the important factors that I look for in a cloud provider. Um, and it's been interesting. I've talked to many over the years, uh, and they've all got slightly different approaches uh, so it's it's really which is the right provider for you in the in the country. Invest in training, but the other thing then is also start to make your business fully aware of what cloud means because they will have lots of different views in relation to cloud. Fascinating, uh, and on that as well, um, Colin, looking at all the competition and the disruption that is taking place, uh, you know, how do you see financial institutions at least leveraging the cloud and its particularly the computing power that comes with analyzing data uh, and, and the implications that this would have in terms of offering uh, more frictionless customer journeys, uh, specifically when supporting uh, you know, all these, the range of digital banking services on offer. Um, and is, is the cloud framework sufficient to, to really help address some of the customer pain points that we see uh, today? Without doubt, you know, the cloud is a core component of the strategy. It's got to be a core component. Will it address all the pain points? No, it won't. You, you know, I think people mention quite a lot of things like omnichannel. Uh, omnichannel is not a magic thing that will get fixed by the cloud. Omnichannel, I, I really don't follow those that kind of model. I follow a, what I call a common sales and service model uh, because I want to have multiple channels. I want to have a massive expanse of channels, and there will be new ones. So, customer pain points like you know the use of commonality and you know, making it very convenient, making it very quick, um, uh, availability all the time, all of those things, cloud will enable us. 
But it really starts off with a really sound architecture, you know, a business and technology architecture to be able to look at how you're going to leverage this. And I think that this is one of the things that I would put down as a watchword. You know, many organizations think the cloud is a magic answer. If you use the cloud wrongly, it will cost you more money than on-prem. Cloud economics are very, very important. So the thing there is you've got to understand the elements of the cloud. Uh, will it address our pain points? Yes. But we as a financial institution still have the responsibility and accountability to design it in the right way so that it does address the customer um, pain points. I was listening to a previous speaker where they were talking about the customer journeys. Those customer journeys are enabled through the cloud. They're not built by the cloud. And so it's having that level of um, focus and that level of diligence in the way in which you design those interactions, the way you design the business and technical architectures that will enable us to resolve the pain points. The cloud will make it easier for us to do that. The cloud will reduce the cost and time to market, uh, but it's not a magic answer in itself. Not a magic answer, absolutely. Uh, Colin, we're also getting a question from the audience. Uh, so they're, they're asking us, uh, you know, what, or asking you, what is the current status of cloud adoption of banks currently as you see it uh, among financial institutions in Vietnam? Uh, so what is your sense of where uh, institutions are currently uh, in terms of cloud adoption? I've been in the country only six months, so please forgive me, um, but I have been here before. Um, Compared to other uh, markets, it's still it's a slightly earlier in the adoption cycle. Uh, I think that it's still got a way to go. I think it's escalated quite substantially. I think the whole aspect of cloud will escalate more. I think that there are some early movers and they're getting some benefits out of cloud. Um, but I still think that it's got a long way to go. Are we on, on market with some of the top, top end countries using cloud? No, we're not there yet. But we are seeing interesting things. I'm seeing not just the big names in cloud, but I'm actually seeing you know, local companies investing in cloud technologies and provision of cloud. I'm seeing the infrastructure investment so that we've got the, the, the high-speed high links with you know, Singapore and Hong Kong and Japan so that we can reduce our latency time right, really down to a small level. So seeing all of those things, yes, um, we're seeing adoption grow. I think it will go very fast. Um, I think that you know it's going to be constrained only by the lack of good capability and good resources. Um, but I think that we will see you know us move a lot faster. Are we on par with other big markets? I think we're a little bit behind them. Fascinating. Um, and uh, on that note, also uh, given you know the uh, the learnings uh, for different institutions, uh, you spoke about the you know investments, especially in terms of skills. Uh, and you know, uh, addressing uh, potentially some of the technology skill gaps. Um, how do you see, or what is your benchmark for success uh, today? Uh, you know, in terms of uh, cloud adoption for Vietnamese institutions. That's a very uh, interesting question. Um, my benchmark for su success is to actually the first benchmark is to create the stability, the resilience, the scalability. Um, you know, it's not about just using the cloud; it's about actually being being cloud native. You know, you cannot go into the cloud and take a lump of technology and push it into the cloud and say it's going to operate better or I'm going to get efficiencies. No, you've got to look at the, the cloud native design. So those things have got to be tackled. And they're one of the first levels of success. 
Um, the second level of success will be then, you know, how can I increase my speed to market? Not just in, you know, individual digital things, but in my overall transformation of the uh, of, of building new solutions, building new capability. Uh, and I think the third then will be the economics. My total cost of ownership has got to come down. So those are the three things that I look at, but I measure them over time differently. And my most important thing is, first of all, get the stability, get the strength, get the resilience within the service solution to make sure that you're comfortable with that kind of capability. So that's my first measure. Absolutely. It makes, makes a lot of sense, uh, uh, Colin. Clearly, uh, you know, I mean, institutions that are able to integrate these cloud-based platforms, they're obviously in a position to facilitate, you know, the, the digital experiences that banks desire for their customers. Um, and we do see that, uh, you know, with this increased agility that the cloud is offering, uh, you know, products can be brought uh, to market much faster and in a cost-efficient manner. And as you mentioned as well, the scalability, the resilience is what is paramount for, for financial institutions. Um, so it really is, a, 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 you know, it's a cloud migration is, it shouldn't just be looked at as a technology shift, but uh, also as a cultural shift, in my view. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's an opportunity for all the institutions uh, to really seize this mo moment to help facilitate their, their digital transformation um, with that said, uh, Colin, I'd like to thank you uh, for this session and, and for having shared your exceptional thoughts uh, with us. Uh, we hope the audience has also benefited from your insights. Um, and I would like to encourage everybody to stay tuned because uh, we have another fascinating session on e-payments. Uh, I'd like to thank you once again, Colin, and, and, and uh, we'll be in touch. Stay safe. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you to our speakers and moderators. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Richard Hartung, the International Resource Director at the Asian Banker, who will be hosting our next sessions on redefining e-payments with the risings of the new market engines. Great. Thank you very much. And welcome to our session on redefining e-payments. I'm Richard Hartung with the Asian Banker, and I'll be your host for this session. I'm joined by distinguished panelists with tremendous experience in products, payments, customer experience from leading financial institutions. Gunit Singh is head of product, payments, and customer engagement at Ubank. And Kanish Upadai is executive vice president, head of liabilities, cards, and payments at Techcom Bank. Without further ado, let me begin by asking our panelists to do a sh very short 30-second elevator pitch introduction of themselves, and then move on to look at the, the first question I have for you. You know, we've seen a lot of dynamic changes in the payments landscape in the past few years. There's new technology, higher customer expectations, complex regulation, new competitors. What are the key changes that you see leading banks like yourselves and payment players like yourselves doing to make payments infrastructure to stay competitive in this dynamic environment? and to keep customers engaged. So uh, Guni, let me start with you, if I may, please. So coming directly to your, uh, to your question, I clearly see that there was a time when uh, you know, payments was, uh, was something that you do by going to a branch. That's what many, many years back. And then we had internet banking. And then suddenly, you know, thanks to COVID, everyone was doing transactions using his mobile phone. Now, the way the big change which has happened uh, is on three fronts. 
The first front is that for making payments and transactions, mobile is the first instrument of choice. You know, if you have to make a payment, you look out for your mobile phone, nothing else. You don't look out for your wallet. Primarily, you look out for your mobile phone. Okay, that's one thing. Now, when you are there in your mobile phone, and this would depend, differ from bank to bank, uh, what do you use to make a payment? Okay, so previously it was like, you know, there is every country has got their one unified payment system and you use that very system to make those payments. Uh, in, in Vietnam, we have got NAPAS. But the beauty right now is that that centralized unified payment system has become only one of the options. And there are multiple options which have come up. The smart, what smart banks have done is that they have integrated well with different fintech players across the market. They have gone into a horizontal integration. So today, if you have to make a high value payment, uh, well, you know, you, you typically look at your uh, an equivalent of NAPAS, but if you have to make a quick small value transaction or a payment, you look out for, uh, for uh, you know, smart pay QR, uh, VNPay, QR or, 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 or put, you know, transfer money from your account to a Momo wallet and use Momo wallet to make those transfers. So the second thing which has happened here is that there is a lot of banks have been, banks have opened up and they have looked at integrating with, with various fintechs. So the bank is not thinking that, oh, this money should stay with me and I should be having this money with me. And then, and whenever the transaction is rooted out through my network, then I'll make my, you know, a one, one and a half percent interchange. No, he's saying payments for me is a very basic offering that I should be giving to the customer and the customer should be, you know, uh, uh, I, I do not worry about my margins. Payments are more for, you know, the stickiness for the customer. And that's what I'm looking at. And then I simply, you know, whosoever gives the best experience to my customer, you know, can, 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 can take their transactions. If it is smart pay or NAPAS or, or for that matter, VNPay. So that's the second thing which has happened. The third thing which has happened over here is that with payments uh, you know, being the first choice for the customers, the banks have been forced to look at you know, a lot of uh, security on the digital side, that whenever this payment is getting processed, irrespective of the value, they are able to look at it, uh, you know, uh, they're able to take care of all possible risk and challenges which come across when that payment is getting processed. So banks from a scenario wherein, you know, they were having, uh, 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 and then online banking, they were having uh, OTP authentication, they were having, you know, uh, dongles to, to generate an OTP. They have now moved to a scenario wherein, you know, uh, 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 you know, SDKs are attached to the mobile app to be sure of that the guy who's making the payment is probably, not probably, definitely the same guy who is, uh, who is their account holder. So in my view, I would say that, you know, these are the three big changes which have happened in the payment space. Uh, there are, are and, 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 and the biggest of them is, I would say the second one that I've said that banks have now opened up and they have integrated well with different players, horizontal integration and being open to say, my customer is there, whosoever gives the best experience can take that transaction. Yeah, the integration and the ecosystems are, are really a big shift over the past couple of years. Kanish, um, can we ask for your insights, please? Uh, I think when, when Guleed was saying big banks have opened up, he was, he was, he was pointing in my way, so that was a good segue. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but yes, I, I completely agree with him, right? That, uh, uh, payments is about ubiquity. 
It is about access for everyone, right? Uh, it, it must be so that a customer doesn't have to uh, debate one versus the other. Uh, he should just be able to go and make a payment, right? And, and then the real experience comes from uh, how each bank, wallet, or institution is making it seamless, easy, automated. That's where you have to win that the customer, not by creating walls, right? Uh, but the only part where perhaps I would slightly uh, you know, uh, go away is that I, I do feel that, and I've seen from personal experience in my previous markets, that the benefit of, of a single uh, payment rail, you know, whether, whether Malaysia, Singapore, India, has really, really opened up the economy, right? It has, it has really helped uh, small business owners uh, be able to to go out and not have to deal with multiple uh, wallets, which is the which is the situation right now in Vietnam, right? Uh, I, but I think it's a matter of time. I think I think our uh, our our dear friends in Napas are working towards a central solution, where then each institution will win the the battle on service and other value added initiatives, but not on 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 being able to provide access at the point of sale. I think the the access should be just uniform, single-minded, colorless, transparent. Um, and, in, and in that regards, uh, there is a lot of work to do on the infrastructure. So this is not bank level, but country, nation level infrastructure. I think uh, that is needed. Um, as long as there is a vision for that, uh, then whether they do it on their own or they get experts to do it, um, or whether they get banks to collaborate and do it together. I'm more than happy to, uh, to do that. And, uh, and, and I see that happening. There's no way we can escape that. Uh, but that's the that's the real conversation that that we would like to to see happen because we've seen the benefits of it as this has been unified in 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 other markets and for me that infrastructure conversation is 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 the more important one um, as each of us of course in our own bank and in our own uh, wallet creates the better experience which of course is equally important. Great. Let me continue on with you, Kanishka, if I may, because one of the things you mentioned is is customer experience. Now, consumers have instant information these days, really superb experiences with the movies they're watching, the music they're listening to, food delivery. Uh, 10 minutes is too long for food delivery, um, but they can order instantly. They can get their goods delivered right away. They get personalized offers, super convenient access. What are your firms doing to make the, the give customers the same level of, of experience with their payments or other services you offer, what do you still need to do and what do you see coming up over the next year or two to give that same level of superb customer experience? So uh, you're absolutely right. This is, this is the whole subscription model kind of, you know, banking moving into the, into the sub subscription model age, right? And, um, and creating the next Spotify of banking, uh, if I can just lose the, Use that word, but uh, but 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 absolutely, it's about uh, value-added services. Right? Customers don't want to bank. Actually, they never wanted to bank. Um, but you know, they didn't have a choice. Uh, banking was a was a was a verb which was used, right? Uh, you know, I, I remember, you know, back in the day, uh, grandfather would go up and say, "I'm going banking today," right? and that he meant newspaper, cup of coffee, conversation, and and then you know, put in the check. Uh, that's no longer the case. Uh, you need to serve the customer where he is rather than vice versa, right? So, uh, but then there's a fine balance to maintain as well. And I'm sure, you know, Guneet also mentioned that earlier, which is on the security, which is also the responsibility of the institution uh, to make sure that while we make it easy and convenient, while we are available everywhere, um, the customer can also rely on us. Uh, and, and, and I think that, that, that we cannot let go of that um, as we get more and more 
uh, experiential based, number one. Number two, also have to take a call. There are a lot of things which come up and then fail, uh, and then come up and then fail. So you have to you have to pick your bets or try to do everything. Uh, for example, the 10 minute delivery doesn't look like it's succeeding. <laughs> it's burning a lot of cash. But so, so you know, that's an example of something that's, that, that one should do maybe and, and, and burn. It's a constant battle. I don't think there's any one good answer here. We'll probably try 15 things and, and 10 will be common with another bank and, and hopefully we'll get it right. Some we are already getting right. Consumers enjoy auto card provisioning, for example, right? You're in your app and you say, sir, would you like us to subscribe to your Netflix account, your Grab account? And he just says, yes. And that's a wonderful experience, right? There's, on the other hand, there are other fad things, lucky account numbers, etc., which may come and go. So, uh, so I think we we keep trying and succeeding and failing fast, and then hopefully succeeding again. So, uh, I think my uh, take on this is that the customer experience is is, uh, is 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 a given thing, okay? And 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 that is. You know, that is what ensures that a customer, you know, does not look at the, uh, the, the long-term value that he is getting, but he's looking at the immediate ease that he's getting in. To give you an example, a customer who has got a credit card and he is getting, let's say, 2% cash back on every transaction that he does over there. And he's doing a 200,000 transaction or a 250,000 transaction. He knows that he's supposed to get some, some 5,000 dong as a cashback. But in that case, the transaction will come in and he needs to take any OTP and put the OTP and, and you know, then what will happen. As compared to a Momo experience in which he simply says yes and it's done. So, so what I've seen is that people are ready to sacrifice that monetary value of a cashback for an immediate good experience that they get when they're making the uh, payments. And that says a lot about how customers are thinking now. Okay, they're absolutely thinking in terms of convenience and everything else has to happen in background and has to happen in an absolute automatic format, you know, like uh, security, like, you know, what, what, uh, uh, Kanish said that you know just press of a button and you're you're you are already identified about your Netflix account and the payments are being made. So clearly, and as we move as we move ahead, you know the customers would like the payments to just work in in, in the background. Uh, another example which is popping up in my mind is that when uber was launched and i was i was i was in vietnam and, and it was in vietnam that i had first time exam you know uh, uh, experienced uber you know the best thing about uber was not that you know i would i would i would call it and they would come and the car would be clean all that was given but the best thing was that when i reached the destination i simply walk out i do not pull out my wallet i do not look out for currency notes i do not give it to the guy and he says okay sir this is the balance that you have so the something that stuck me that Uber is good was not because a good car or, 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 you know, it can come in whenever I want to, but it was like this, that when I'm there at the destination, I just move out and the payment is handled and managed in an absolute seamless manner. So that's, that's, that's how important, you know, payments are in, in every, you know, business that we're doing. The complete differentiation, which is being created right now is on the checkout experience. 
and checkout experience means at the place where the customer is making the payments and is moving out so yeah so undoubtedly it is it's it's there well let me carry on from that and ask about the bnpl experience that you just mentioned uh bnpl has sort of come out of nowhere uh, uh fairly recently and you know market like australia it's uh young people don't want credit cards don't want debit cards they want bnpl and it is moving into other markets Um so what do you see happening with BNPL in Vietnam uh what are the the traditional institutions yourselves uh doing to offer something similar and where do you see some BNPL or something like that evolving and also managing credit risk uh over time so Gunit let me just ask you to carry on please so so I will just pick up from your Australia thing and add two things to it the first thing is that you know research proves that the youth the gen z uh is more comfortable with a debit card than a credit card okay uh, they you know they feel credit card can can get them involved into many many things uh, you know uh, lots of outstanding high interest rates so they are more comfortable you know living with their means and using a debit card for uh, you know for for all their payments requirements and to that very segment suddenly there was this this thing came across that you know you can buy this thing and we you and me will have a prior agreement of that you will pay me this much amount of money for 3 months 6 months and no interest will be charged so it's a clear it was a clear clean transaction which the gen z loves you know it's it's a well defined thing yo i'm clear what people will be asked but i have to you know pay so so that that kind of a you know transaction between between the the customer and the company was loved by this the by by this age group and they kind of uh, jumped on to it you know uh, that's another story that people 50% of the people definitely required it and 50% of the people just did it okay it's a 0% let me just get into that now so that was on the, on the australia piece now coming on to uh, vietnam now in vietnam we have seen that uh, you know a uh, few of the companies finance companies uh, you know uh, fintechs have have brought in uh, uh, you know uh, have tied up with bnpl and very soon we should be seeing that a serious bnpl product is launched in the market you know right now we have not seen it groundwork is happening you know soon it should be out uh, but but you know uh, uh, there are strong players in the market which are like you know fe credit viet credit uh, home credit who are providing you know uh, 0% interest schemes for 3 to 6 months to the to the lower income group you know Uh, across all organized retail primarily focusing on consumer durables and two wheelers okay once bnpl comes in the biggest push will come in into the luxury or the quasi luxury segment that's where you know i like the product it's a you know it's it's a good t-shirt but should i be paying you know 5 million for a for a for a for a for a jacket or a 10 million for a jacket and a suit you know that segment is what will take you know will 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 bounce up when bnpl comes in because that very segment is not having anything but a credit card only with them so uh, we will be seeing action on the bnpl space uh, coming in soon uh, e-commerce sites would be the first one as we have seen across the globe should be coming in and the followed would be uh, would be the uh, organized retail who are in the in what i say is a, a premium kind of a segment um you know one of the things we've seen also is um in the australia example carrying on from that uh other players jumped in and then about 2 years later 3 years later the, the banks jumped in so uh kanish you're sort of in the perfect position with the bank to look at it and say you know what are you looking at with bnpl 
I think BNPL is a, is a, is a fantastic feature, right? It, and it is a perfect example of, of, of being at the right place for the consumer, right? Where he wants it, it's right there, right? But note, I say fantastic feature. Uh, uh, I don't say fantastic product. Um, and there's a big difference on, on how it is being done, um, perhaps not right, but by a lot of the players. Um, and, 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 I, and I envy them their valuations, congratulations. But uh, I, I really think uh, for a bank, absolutely, right? Uh, the ability that a customer does a purchase and turns it into an installment. Oh, wait, actually, credit cards have been doing it for 20 years. But, but anyways, let's call it new. Um, and the, the whole BNPL experience is a great way to, 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 to give a customer an instant experience and then let him come into the bank and then enjoy the rest of the life cycle. So for a bank, it's a great feature. It's a great way to make the customer feel happy. Uh, the experience is wonderful. And, and then convert him. And I think banks will do a great job of it. Um, on the other hand, banks, what, what they will also do is they'll do a responsible job of it, which I think is very, very important. Um, and, and I don't want to point out the several examples, um, including the latest uh, investigation launched by the Consumer Bureau in the US. Um, on, uh, so I don't want to go down that route, but it's obvious, right? Uh, one of the big things that you should never ever do is it's your job to not only be responsible to your bank, but also to your consumer, even if he doesn't know better sometimes. Right. And, and I think that's where BNPL will do well with banks, but will be done right as well. And I'm really looking forward to that version of BNPL succeeding. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, last question I have is around fraud. We've got a few minutes left. Um, you know, one of the, the concerns, and you've both alluded to it a couple of times, is the increasing threats and, and uh, especially on the e-commerce side. So what are you seeing as key threats that are evolving and what are you doing to counter those threats of fraud to make continue to make uh, payments safe for your customers? Kanish, let me uh, ask you and then, then back to Ganesh. I think one of the most the least spoken about topics when we talk about all the cool fintech e-commerce stuff, right? And, and, and unjustifiably so. Um, as, as, as fast as we learn, um, there are equal centers of excellence in fraud, like absolute... Uh, Experts, geniuses, hackers at work, uh, finding ways to, 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 to cut over whatever you thought you had done, right? Uh, and it requires a lot of attention. But I think that's where technology is really, really helping us. The, the traditional way of looking out for transaction alerts and, and calling the customer, there's, there's not scalable at all, right? I, I think AI is playing a very big role. Uh, we're, we're already seeing examples. This is not future. This is now where, 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 where you look at the behavior of the consumer and then you look at his latest transaction they're like, mm, this doesn't look like our customer. Let me quickly ping him and, 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 you know, and let him respond in app saying, yeah, yeah, that was me or no, that was not me, right? So what you call a step up or a challenge uh, when the situation demands it, right? Or, or he just did a transaction in Vietnam and now he's in Cambodia? No, I don't think so. Uh, and, and, uh, and then there's the more subtle ones, which are all over the place on the e-commerce side. But again, the more data you have on your consumer, which, which at least big banks do, Sorry for using the big bank word, but uh, you are able to learn so much more. Uh, combine that off and on with his non-banking activity, social media, if he permits it, if he appreciates it, and, and be able to protect them, having those tools in place. So, so the digital app is already built. Everybody's got it. Now it's just a matter of plugging and playing. And, and really by partnering with experts in the fraud industry rather than building something on your own, uh, I think this is moving equally fast um, and hopefully faster than the guys who are trying to 
So I think what Kanishka said is uh, absolutely right that technology helps us to uh, define uh, or helps us to uh, take care of uh, possible frauds and helps us to proactively control them. Uh, I would like to just you know take a take a step back that before we get onto the technology side, what what do we need to do, and 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 what's the starting point of that approach? Now, clearly, uh, you know, the, the starting point in, in my view is that first let us define that, you know, if, if on a mobile phone, I'm asking a customer to download a mobile app, am I allowing him to, uh, to you know, uh, have an active app on another device as well? Or I'm saying, no, you cannot have it. Or in case the customer is changing the device, you know, what kind of protocols I'm following to ensure that, you know, uh, there's an OTP or some kind of a verification of the customer is changing the phone number. How exactly, what are the policies I have defined to ensure that I try to control the fraud, possible fraud risk at the starting point itself. Now, so, you know, defining the policy and procedures at the of, of a relationship between the customer, the mobile phone, the mobile app, and the SIM card. Okay, these are you know are are absolutely critical, and these four relationships lay the foundation of how strong is your uh, you know fraud management uh, you know or or possible fraudulent transactions or possible frauds that can hit you. Once you have defined these four core relationships in the in the in the best possible way, and, and the tricky part is that you know it has to be thin line between the customer inconvenience to customer security. You know, that's but that's that's another topic of discussion. Oh. And from there, putting it you know, and starting that as a point. Fantastic. And before we close, let me just ask each of you. Uh, for your one-minute takeaway, what would you like your um, the, the audience to take away from this session? Uh, Kanishk? I read the topic and it said, as new entrants come in, and, and this, is a, this is a very oft uh, topic which comes up, uh, fintechs versus banks. Um, I think uh, the, the future or even the present is really uh, banks with fintechs, banks with new entrants, right? I, banks are not going away. They, 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 they are evolving. They are, they are evolving very fast. But most importantly, as most market research shows, they hold the trust of the customer and they continue to do so. People love the new stuff, but they still hold the larger relationship in a bank. But that doesn't mean banks can sit on that laurel. I think we, that, that, that's, that, that, that's an already established fact. So it's about how uh, fintechs and whatever uh, thin but deep uh, new tools and nifty tools that they come up with is integrated and plugged into large scale institutions who are able to make sure that that offer goes to multiple customers, right? WhatsApp was cool, but where is it now? It's not standing alone, right? Uh, credit cards were not started by banks, but today they are the biggest issuers. And I think that will continue to happen. So it's about providing the best experience to customers at large scale, which I think would always mean new entrants, fintechs, uh, A, waking up banks if they're if they sleeping on certain points, but then also a lot of collaboration for the benefit of the customer. Fantastic. Thank you. And Kuneet, um, can you close us off with your takeaway, please? And I will pick up the last word that Kanish said, collaboration. I think uh, clearly uh, 
in the payment space, we see so many, you know, just to give an example, there are more than 30 odd wallet licenses that have been given away in Vietnam, but only three companies are controlling 90% of the market, Mocha, uh, Momo and Zalopay. Okay. So, and every time an entrant comes in, they come across with a new proposition, a little bit of tweak, you know, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, the key on the payments is, and especially when we talk in terms of key towards uh, in BNPL or, or payments, is the type of relationships that you're building up with different, uh, you know, the, the, let me use the word ecosystem that you are, uh, that you're able to successfully build up. Okay. So in my, so my take would be that as a bank, or in fact, as even as a BNPL company or as any fintech, be open for a horizontal integration across various, you know, uh, try to get connected in the ecosystem as much as you can. The beautiful thing called API has made, you know, our life so good. You know, today we do not think, you know, oh, how the data will flow or how will it online batch. We simply say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll open my gate. I'll have an API. You can send me. So be open for that, that, that horizontal integration. Be open to have uh, uh, new ways in which the customers can, 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 uh, uh, can, can pay or can approve or authorize a transaction. Uh, whether it's uh, uh, QR code or, or you know, uh, uh, QR, which has been you know, launched in the past, mm -hmm. just give as many options as you can to the customer. Because for a bank, the biggest revenue right now uh, it will not be payments. You know, banks are practically giving 2% cash back and giving all the revenue that they're getting in payments. Okay. Yep. For us, the revenue comes in from, uh, from, from lending, from investments, from insurances, and, and payments is just a, you know, a, a tool to engage. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, collaboration, I think you mentioned, is, is key. Exactly. So uh, with that, thank you very much for the insights. Kanish, Guni, we learned a lot from you today. Thank you very, very much. And let's hand it back to the MC, please. Thank Thanks, you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you to our, our speaker and moderator. With it, we have come to the end of the Asian Bank of Finance Vietnam 2022 conference. We really hope that you enjoyed today's insightful sessions. The full recording of the event will be available on our website. Thank you for listening to Radio Finance. For more content, visit the Asian Banker website and follow us on social media.